0: Welcome one and all to episode 51 of the Scum and Villainy podcast, a weekly Star Wars podcast. Where we break down the latest and greatest in Star Wars news. I am your host, Garrett McDowell. Lindham in my co-pilot seat, not breaking down Star Wars news with me today. It's Noah <laughs> to George. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. But we break down
1: the latest and greatest Star Wars news every week. What's well, happening?
0: We're not doing that today, Noah, because as you know, as is made public and as we've uh, we've talked about in weeks prior... It's Obi Month, Kenobi. Okay. Oh yeah, that's it's happening. The national holiday that you and I <laughs> cooped up a couple <laughs> of weeks ago. Um, yeah, to uh, commemorate not only the uh, celebration of uh, this new uh, series that's coming out soon, we're diving into uh, Kenobi content the entire month. But not only that, Noah, but it's the twentieth anniversary of Attack of the Clones, a little small Holy indie cow. movie. I called Star Wars Attack of the Clones that's right. Uh it celebrates its 20th anniversary on May 16th, uh, which is just next week. Uh that's crazy. 20 years ago this movie I mean, came out.
1: It feels like it feels like just 3 years ago we were celebrating the 20th anniversary of The Phantom Menace, um, which was 3 years ago. That's, it, true. Like, that's true. It feels like it's <laughs> I don't know. The the Maybe it's just the, like, shared COVID timeline where everyone's like, that
0: was a decade ago, but also it was yesterday, For question sure. mark, Yeah, you know? I- and then also, and just, uh, I think if my math works out, in two years from now, it'll be the 25th anniversary of The Phantom <laughs> Menace. So, yeah, I just kind of, you know, we've not really reviewed any movies on this on this podcast before. We've talked they're about-
1: too big, in my opinion. I'm not into all the movies. I'm into everything else, Star Wars, but there you the go. movies, <laughs> they're just too long.
0: <laughs> this is your first time actually watching Attack of the Clones, yeah. Um, no, it, it, we've never really had an opportunity to, because we started this podcast with uh, The Bad Batch came out. We obviously talked about that and uh, as well as The Book of Boba Fett, and we will continue to talk about the shows as they come out. But we haven't really had an opportunity to review any of the movies up until now uh, because, you know, this movie is celebrating its 20th anniversary and it is kind of the major uh, kind of totem celebration of Star Wars celebration this year. Something that we're all um, hopefully getting together to celebrate as fans this year. You know, uh, what better time than to uh, go back and look at this film, and uh, thankfully it's a bit of a slower news week, so there's not really too much to discuss this week. We kind of covered uh, a bunch of stuff that came out last week to celebrate uh, May the 4th Be With You, Uh, so it looks like we've got plenty of time to dive on into this movie uh, that you and I have. um, Exactly, but it's it's a movie that you and I have really grown up with, so I kind of want to start there. Of this is a film that is celebrating its 20th anniversary, um, but you and I saw this movie, you know, probably before. I I don't remember first seeing this movie. It was just kind of always a part of my life, the same way with The Phantom Menace. Revenge of the Sith is a bit clearer. I remember, um, like, the experience of that movie coming out. But I do kind of want to get your thoughts on how did you feel about this movie Uh, growing up and being a Star Wars fan, yes, you don't have that initial kind of reaction, but where was this movie kind of at in regards to your your, uh, love of Star Wars? And then we can maybe talk about kind of how it transitioned into getting older and then even where it is now. But when you were a kid, what did Attack of the Clones mean to you?
1: Well, I'll tell you this much, and I don't think it's something that I have... um, I don't know if it's something I've been like entirely vocal about. Mm -hmm. I may have mentioned it once or twice. but it's something that I think as a Star Wars fan, maybe uh, I would have a tendency to be ashamed of or be, you know, well, not necessarily ashamed of. I don't know. The point is, mm-hmm. um, I've not talked about it that much. But when I was a kid, I was not allowed to watch Revenge of the Sith right. um, until a certain age. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and I don't I th- remember. Yeah, I think you've mentioned that on the show before. Yeah.
1: Um, I don't remember like what that age was, but I do remember the first time that I did watch revenge of the Sith was when it was on TV, um, on, on the channel TNT classic. Um, and <laughs> And part of that was we didn't even own it on DVD. Like, Oh, wow.
0: Not even allowed in the house. (laughs) Not even allowed in the house.
1: That is just that, like, my mom was like, I don't like it. It's too scary. I like the
0: idea that you guys got, like, the, the, you know, the collection, the complete collection for Christmas (laughs) one year. And then your mom takes the the DVD of Revenge of the Sith and flings it out the window. (laughs) Just throws it right in the fireplace. And we're like,
2: no. (laughs)
1: Like Anakin. Like Anakin. I do know. (laughs) Yeah. I do know that like my parents bought the dvds as they came out Mm -hmm. um so it it was like well we're not going to go see this one we're not going to buy it on dvd right um but because of that because i was not allowed to watch revenge of the sith um until a certain age Mm -hmm. uh attack of the clones was my number one watched star wars movies and probably still is Mm -hmm. um i think a close second would be the force awakens interesting um Maybe because the amount of times that I've thrown that on that I can remember where I'm just like, want to watch Star Wars? Yeah, it's The Force Awakens. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I think that that one gets pretty close, but my memory gets hazy when it's like most weekends I just watched, you know, Return of the Jedi or Attack of the Clones. Sure. Um. So for me, Attack of the Clones was the like pinnacle of Star Wars because it was the newest one you know that i was allowed to see yeah up until a certain uh,
0: point yeah right and so it was like, for, well... For, I do have a question, though, about like context-wise. Yeah. What age do you think were you, Revenge of the Sith? So it came out 2005. Um, I was six when that movie came out. How old were were you when you were actually finally able to watch that movie?
1: I was able to watch it. Let's see. I remember specifically that um, when we moved to Chicago, I was seven turning eight. Okay. Um, and I think that was around the time because I do remember watching it in... Um, our apartment, like living room, when gotcha. we lived in Chicago, so it probably would have been around eight or nine years old. So this um, is probably
0: uh, two thousand
1: and seven. Okay. 2000- that's, yeah. not,
0: that's not that bad. It's just a couple of years. Yeah. That's right. not that bad. And you long know, enough for it t- yeah. to be on like running on TV. Totally. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. And to be, you know, to be fair to your parents, it's a pretty intense movie. I think six or seven is like a pretty reasonable age to have your kid watch <laughs> that. Cause it's, it's intense, man. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, so I was kind of in a similar, not in regards to like more of the parenting, but just in regards to, um this was a movie that i put on all the time we talked about things uh, a couple of weeks ago that make us nostalgic for star wars and i had mentioned that the primary way that i engaged with star wars when i was a kid was playing with action figures and putting on star wars and having it on and that just be like like how i am now where i put like movies on or mostly music now to when I'm writing or editing or working on stuff. That's how I was, but it was just Star Wars. <laughs> and then like, you know, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies as well as many others. But Star Wars was my my kind of the, the breadwinner in that regard. I just kind of always had it on. Um, and I was right there with you. It was kind of the you know the the original trilogy when i was younger was uh you know the iconic stuff the cool stuff you could spend time with vader which is not something that you could obviously do in the prequel trilogy um i liked luke i like leia and han and the falcon and all that kind of stuff but attack of the clones was the one where i'm like no that's got the all the jedi in it and that's got the most lightsabers uh and that was like the action-packed Cool one, and I always thought that Django Fett as a character was really cool, and I loved his duel with uh, with uh, Obi Wan and Kamino. Um, and that, yeah, it was just kind of the one that I don't think it's the one that I feel the most nostalgic for now. I think Phantom Menace is one that I feel is like my primary emotion when I'm watching that movie is pure nostalgia. Um, but this is the one that I just kind of constantly was, uh, you know, in this in this world, and I think that's a big reason for why even now, the prequel era, and more importantly the the Clone Wars era, so just after this movie and before Revenge of the Sith, is my uh, is the era in Star Wars that I'm kind of the most drawn to. Uh, obviously, I'm very excited to go into other corners of the galaxy and to explore pre prequel era um, and, and old Republic and High Republic stuff. I'm I'm really interested in that, um, but as far as content that we've gotten, I'm fascinated by this era, and I love this era of Star Wars, and I don't think an insignificant reason for that is because this movie, as well as Revenge of the Sith, were so like key in my love for Star Wars growing up.
1: Yeah, that's one of my favorite things. You kind of briefly mentioned it, but it's, it is it is one of those feelings that you get where The Phantom Menace is is something special, and I, I always laugh because when I think of The Phantom Menace, I think of... Uh, as A moment from How I Met Your Mother where a certain character's uh, a certain character's father passes away,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, he describes how he's been testing his friends because you know they're treating him with with kid gloves because his dad died,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: he goes, "The Phantom Menace is by far the best Star Wars film." Mm-hmm. And they both like, like choke on their drinks. Yeah. I always think of that because it's just like there is a feeling there, and I understand it, but at the same time. It's pure nostalgia for me there. Yeah. And I I think I like recognized when I was watching Attack of the Clones that there was something like obviously more sinister there. Um, but it's it's like such intricate storytelling. And I I know that like most people would not would not call this film intricate in its like in its bobbing and weaving of story, but I honestly am like I don't know, guys. I would. There's like some heavy. There's some heavy weaving of you know stories and planting of seeds here, for and sure. it makes
0: you feel more like, oh, we're not in kid territory anymore. Well, as far as like the the maturity of it is one thing, but if somebody was not to call this movie intricate, I would be like go ahead and explain palpatine's <laughs> long game that he's playing in this game and try to look at me with a straight face and tell me that this movie is not intricate. It's intricate intricate to the degree that I could see people having problems with it in
1: yeah. regards to
0: that to where and it's mostly related to, you know, palpatine's plan with the clones and all of that kind of stuff and we'll get to that when we get kind of the plot of everything. But it's funny how when you're a kid it doesn't matter. Like you don't care. Like right. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about Palpatine's plan and how silly it is to hire. Uh, you know that Palpatine has Dooku hire somebody who hires somebody who sends a robot who sends a bug. You know, it's like there's yeah. that there's that great YouTube video um where they they kind of make fun of of that idea. But um, and we're not the first people to talk about a lot of the things <laughs> that have been mentioned in this. And when we eventually talk about Phantom Menace and we eventually talk about Revenge of the Sith, I don't know if we're gonna necessarily be adding too much new, other than the fact that I will say rewatching this movie. Uh, I I watched part of it the other day, had something to do. And then I went, you know, whatever. I'm just going to start it over. I got like 30 (laughs) minutes into the movie before I had to stop it the other day. And I was like, I don't care. I'll just start it over. (laughs) Yeah. And I got to say, like this most recent watch, for some reason, worked the best that it's probably ever worked since I was a kid. And -hmm. I was really able to enjoy this movie. And I like even stopped to pause and think about you know, certain plot points about certain lines that are said lines that I've heard so many times, but I'm like, I don't know if I've ever noticed that line, you know, of like, oh, Dooku says that one thing. Why does he say that? Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pause and I'm going to look into that. Okay. Why, you know, why is this certain character saying or feeling this certain thing? Things you just kind of take for granted. And I was just able to have a real fun time with this movie. And I could see myself, Uh, in in the coming years, really becoming someone to defend Attack of the Clones. And uh, I think that that's kind of where I do want to talk about uh, how that is contrasted to how I felt when I was a younger man in my adolescence. Because when I was a teenager, and I was like, I'm talking like circa 2013, 2014, um, I was getting on the internet for kind of the first time and discovering, oh, these movies aren't considered by most people to be very good. Not only that, but I was also watching other movies, like in my my taste in film, and I was also getting older, hopefully wiser, hopefully smarter, and I was starting to kind of, not outgrow Star Wars, I've never outgrown Star Wars, but these movies in particular, the prequels, I started to get really cynical about, uh, and this was one I really kind of pointed at, and I think that that's like my least favorite version of myself was <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, the why one that hates uh, the one that hates the prequels <laughs> exactly yeah and it's something i've thankfully grown out of um and no i'm not gonna act like these are the pinnacle of star wars or my favorite star wars films we can kind of talk towards the end of this about where this ranks for you in in regards to the uh to the skywalker saga as it were but this is is something that has really changed over time with me. Uh, I'm curious of how, when you started to get older, you talked about how this was your kind of preferred Star Wars movie. Did that ever change for you? Or did you ever have like kind of a rebellious era where you're like, no, nah, the prequels are stupid and the lines are cheesy and the acting's bad. And, you know, has that, has that kind of changed to where you're at now? I think what kind of happened for me was um,
1: when I got into middle school i was still living in chicago and i still had the same friends that i that i grew up with um and we all just kind of loved star wars Mm -hmm. um and my friends were a little bit nerdier than i was um wow and like they started (laughs) i know right
0: you say on the star wars podcast that you're hosting (laughs) listen listen we are professionals over here okay professional nerds now okay none of this kiddie stuff (laughs) we're not
1: dabbling in in fan art and and, and fan fiction and furries and whatever, okay? The, the kids that I was friends with, like, they started branching out to that kind of stuff, okay?
0: <laughs> you, say, <laughs> and, you say it like you were, like, part of, like, a Jim Jones cult, but just of furries <laughs> that you, like... <laughs> I was you, like, hey, I escaped. didn't sign up
1: for this. <laughs> They're like, no, man, you took the blood pact, like... <laughs> oh, no. um, No, like, they, they started branching out into more, um, I guess not necessarily deeper like nerd things, but like they um, started getting into anime and things like that. And I was like, yeah, I mean, some of this is cool, but I think I'd rather just stick with what I have. Yeah. And what ended up happening was that I went to high school um, in the suburbs mm-hmm. and I had kind of bypassed the era where like where people that I was friends with were hating on the prequels. And so when I got to high school, I was good friends uh, with this guy that just kind of assumed that everybody hated the prequels. Right. And we would we would have arguments. It was me. About no, I was that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, like we would legit have arguments about it where, like, and, and this guy that I was friends with, bless his soul, he's such mm-hmm. a creative person. Um, I have I have since listened to him talk for like Close to an hour and forty-five minutes about different movies, different comic book movies, different whatever. Yeah, where he's like, "This is how I would have made the movie," oh, and yeah. he'll just launch into a full screenplay. Yep. Okay. And you, you know those people. Well, you know.
0: yeah. Not to interrupt, but there's, no, you're um, fine. there's a, a YouTube series called. Uh, uh, not to to shame this guy. Cause I actually think like a lot of the stuff he talks about is really interesting. And I like that creative exercise. The duel of the fates with rise of Skywalker was another kind of like tempting to where it's like, what could have been? Like And yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. well, it didn't happen, so let's engage with what is there. But it's called, like, um, what if the prequels were good? And he kind of pitches, like, if I was to write Star Wars, this is how I would do it. And that's also, like, I, it's funny that the guy that you're talking about, I'm like, is this just me? Because that's also how <laughs> I kind of engage with these movies for a long time, where I was like, no, it shouldn't have been this, it should have been this. And this character actually would have made more sense if Darth Maul didn't die in Phantom of the Menace, and he was the villain throughout the entire movie. So anyway, like, I, yeah. I relate with this hypothetical Person that you're talking yeah. about? Well, not, well, hypothetical. He's not they're, hypothetical. They're a real people. <laughs> <laughs> you just discredited that man's existence. <laughs> anyway, continue.
1: Yeah, it's just one of those things where I, I realized in high school that, and it was—I feel like it was a late bloom type of situation where I realized that people hated it. Yeah. Um, and that for me was—I was like, well, wait a minute, like, mm-hmm. why? And then I remember, like. You know, I remember getting The Force Awakens and going back and watching things and I was like, okay, wait, yeah, I think, I think, I think they're right. I think Attack of the Clone sucks. Yeah. And where it's just like, man, that's, that's a bummer. And mm-hmm. I had like an existential crisis. Right. Yeah. Um, And I think now kind of in that transition is like I've talked about a little bit is there was a like... Not, not a grieving process, maybe more like labor pains. Sure. Um, where the most recent time that like I giving wind- birth to Attack of the Clones, yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, You mean re- growing pains? <laughs> no, no, labor pains. Legitimately, okay. <laughs> like, like the, it's it's the birth of something new. Okay, right? sure. Like sure. a rebirth, a spiritual rebirth. <laughs> oh, I'm,
0: I'm tracking with you. We're 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 going okay. down this
1: metaphor. <laughs> Take the placenta, throw it in your bullet. And that's keto.
0: (laughs) We're we're moving on. Okay. (laughs) Go down your weird metaphor path that you're uh, taking us on right now.
1: (laughs) So the last time that I watched Attack of the Clones, I know we had this discussion coming up and I was like, well, here's the thing. The most recent time that I watched it was merely a month ago. Yeah. And it was when um, I was having a bachelor's weekend. Nice. Rachel was out of town for the weekend. (laughs) She like went to go like visit her sister. Yeah. And I was like, well, what am I going to do with, you know, my Saturday? Oh, that's right. I'll watch all three of the prequels. And that's what I did. Hell yeah, brother. (laughs) It was just me on the couch in my sweatpants and my hoodie with my snacks and I watched the prequels and I got to say, like the time before it, the time that I watched it before it was, I think, in 2019. And it yeah. was when I watched it uh, with Rachel. She was seeing it for the first time. Yeah. And that time that I watched it, I had said, I think the next time that I watch it, it will be out of pure adoration. Yeah. I think the next time that I watch it, I'm going to love it because mm-hmm. I think I've worked out everything. Yeah. And when I watched it a month ago, I was just, loving every bit of it i was chomping on all of it so like i'm i'm right there with you Mm -hmm. where it is one of those things when you revisit it you're like wow that's so interesting you know Mm -hmm. and you can get past the stuff that everybody has been crapping on for so long because Hey man, it's been there for twenty years now. Right, get over it.
0: Yeah, that's kind. Of, we've talked about that before. Of, um, and I do want to go back on your kind of the ritual that you had because I had something yes. similar yeah, when yeah. I when I watched <laughs> this. But we've talked about it before. Of. How time kind of heals a lot of wounds in regards to Star Wars. Not to say that this movie is a wound, but it's something that a lot of the fandom well it struggled wounded with. Other people, sure, it totally did. Yeah. There's like a, an entire generation of fans that were so excited for these movies, and when they came out, they were crushed because it wasn't what they you know expected it to be. But as someone like you and I, maybe it's easier for us because we didn't have that initial crushing blow of disappointment that we had to like kind of get over. It was more a lot more of like we loved this movie when we were kids, whether when we were in high school or junior high, there was like a four to five year period where we were like, everybody hates these movies and they're bad, and that's just objectively true. And then it got to the point to where I'm able to watch all of the prequels now and be like, yeah, there's an entire, you know, list of things that I have that I don't care for. Um, and and things that still don't work with me to this day. But in no way do those really detract from my overall enjoyment of this movie. Um, I'm still totally uh, all three of these prequel movies, uh, some of them I like d- d- to varying degrees of the other. But all three of these prequel movies, I'll put on at any time. and I will complete com- completely engulfed in it and love the the ride that it takes me on and but still be totally aware that as a film and as like a, you know, pushes glasses up kind of movie doesn't necessarily work for me. But I'll stand by. I think that these are great Star Wars stories, which I'm interested to talk about. And I think that purely on a Star Wars level, I think that all of the prequels movies work really well, and that's because the guy that made them also made Star Wars. Um, So it's kind of interesting, having just watched um, all of the original trilogy movies in the theater, going back and watching uh, the prequel movies, which are kind of the unfiltered, pure, adulterated uh, Or unadulterated uh, George Lucas vision. It's interesting watching it and being like, oh, so this is like what it, you know, kind of an uncaged George Lucas looks like. And even still, they're so unique, movie. There's, you know, they're so unique. And these movies, there's not really much else like them. Uh, And it's kind of taken its, uh, kind of taken a new form to where now I'm able to be completely aware of the issues that I have, but I don't really care. You know, I'm just able to enjoy the movie. And like the other night, um, I, I was like, I, I looked in the fridge, didn't really have much in the, in the fridge, uh, to eat for dinner. And I was like, well, I mean, I could like go get something I could, you know, uh, I could go buy some ingredients and, and, and make something. But I was like, I'm going to go to my local grocery store And I'm going to get a frozen pizza. (laughs) So I went to my local Ralph's, checked the coupons. They had a three for 12 uh, Tombstone pizza deal. And I was like, heck yeah. Scooped up those three bad boys. I did not cook nor eat all three of them. I cooked exactly one of them and ate exactly (laughs) one of them. But still, wait a minute, wait a minute. minute. (laughs) I need to make a
1: PSA. Sure. You can cook a Jack's or Tombstone pizza in the microwave.
0: Why would I do that, though? I've got a perfectly good oven.
1: I'm just saying PSA for the people that are like, oh, I've only got this frozen pizza and a microwave.
0: It'll work. Trust me. Continue. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that's what was on everybody's mind. They're like, man, if, if, if only there They're was like, a better way. Oh god, way. <laughs> I hope Garrett tells us how to use a, a microwave to cook his pizza. There's some listener who's just parked their car in the side of the road on a hot sunny day and has just planted this frozen <laughs> pizza on the hood of their, you know, Toyota Corolla. <laughs> hey, man, it might work, honestly. Um, but no, I was able to sit in front of my my uh, my television with with Tombstone Pizza in hand and. And just completely uh, enjoy this ride and it's not purely from yeah, this movie sucks. There's nothing that I let is like a good, actually, legitimately good about the movie. Pure nostalgia, whatever. I'm enjoying the the empty calories as well as the empty calories of this pizza. Yes. I still think that there is some really good stuff in this, and I'm very excited to talk about it today because there's actually a lot of stuff that I do want to talk about here, uh, which is also kind of why I was like really hoping that it would be like a, snow, a slow news week because I'm like. I could see myself talking about this movie for about two hours because um, right. there's there's a lot of things that I have to say, and it's also twenty years of baggage with this movie. So let's go ahead and dive on wait in. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's is this? Up? Is this like
1: a giant special of general grievances?
0: <laughs> in a way it could be in a way it could be i think all of the star wars movies could be that way because you you know the day that we review uh yeah. return of the jedi there's going to be a whole generation of people who like were upset about the ewoks and all of that kind of stuff right so um, so
1: i guess listener prepare your butt cheeks this is a uh, th- we're going to heal your wounds a little of, bit yeah
0: <laughs> of attack but, of the clones but uh, another thing is i don't even know if people need it you know because like no yeah there's a lot of people that are you're not you're in my age that are like like Like, nah, dude, I love this stuff. Like, this is, I love this Star Wars movie, and and they they love it for all of its, uh, for all of the issues that they have with it. And I'm hoping that uh, we'll probably come back around to this. I'm hoping that there's going to be a new generation of Star Wars fans that'll go on a similar journey with the sequels of like, yeah, Yeah. a lot of people don't like these, but I do. And yeah, there's some issues and there's some things that I don't love, but who cares? Like, it's my Star Wars and I can enjoy it whichever way I wanted to. So, no, I've got a few uh, key points of this movie uh, and kind of these big, you know, uh uh mile points and and and, markers here that I kind of want to go uh, through and, and talk about this. Otherwise it would just be you and I rambling about this movie for about two hours. <laughs> yeah we do need guidance here. We do, just a little bit here. Um so I wanted to start off with just kind of the the plot of this movie. Um and Oh god, and, that's a big marker. <laughs> it is a big one. Let's just start with the uh, the whole movie. I, I do want to start kind of where the movie starts, and I want to talk about the opening crawl of this movie. I think that's something a lot of fans of Star Wars can kind of disregard, mm-hmm. uh, and something that people, I, it's 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 weird because the opening crawl is such a integral part of Star Wars, but then also something that people that maybe don't pay as much attention to in regards to kind of the how they quote unquote critique these movies. So I'm going to go ahead and read the opening crawl to this movie. If you want to also pull it up, uh, you the listener as well as you know to kind of follow along and i do kind of want to talk about this and kind of your thoughts on uh, on this here so attack of the uh, episode two attack of the clones and i will also say doesn't matter how many times i've seen this movie a long time to go in a galaxy far, far away. Bah, 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 bah. Like, uh, I will yeah. never, never, ever. Yeah. Me and my frozen pizza were like, yeah, we're going to watch Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it says there is unrest in the Galactic Senate. Several thousand solar systems have declared their intention to leave the Republic. The separatist movement under the leadership of the mysterious Count Dooku has made it difficult for the limited number of Jedi Knights to maintain peace and order in the galaxy. Senator uh, Amidala, the former queen of Naboo, is returning to the Galactic senate to vote and uh on the critical issue of creating an army of the republic to assist with the overwhelmed jedi followed by four dots so now kind of um what is your uh do you have any kind of overall thoughts or or reactions to the uh, opening crawl of episode two kind of how does it hit you in relation to some of the others Honestly, I do have some thoughts and okay. I just as a springboard,
1: cause I want to know if there's anything in it that stands out to you, but just as a springboard, mm-hmm. um, this, like reading it this way and kind of understanding the political dynamic here is something so like, again, it's intricate. And the mm-hmm. reason that this like actually jumps out at me right now yeah. is that I have been rewatching, uh, the legend of Korra on netflix interesting and the first season is kind of exactly this where the people with powers yeah quote-unquote powers Mm -hmm. are kind of being threatened by this movement to separate um from that literally republic city which is hilarious yeah um and they're being led by this mysterious foe who's kind of He's not really like an evil person because there are intentions there, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a threat to the people that we view as heroes.
0: Yeah, evil, but not like just, I love chaos and I'm going to destroy everything, but like evil, but like, I've also kind of got a point, you know? Yes, exactly. And it's
1: this same story that like, this is a, if you're looking at it like that, like Did The Legend of Korra steal from Attack of the Clones? No, it's not (laughs) nearly that reductionist. Sure. The fact of the matter is that this, like, story framing, this structure is very, very strong. It's Mm -hmm. It's really dynamic. It's one of those things that, you know... People will will hear this and they'll mm-hmm. be like, bah, whatever. Yeah. But then they'll watch, you know, something like Black Panther and say, well, Killmonger was a great villain because he had a point, he had sure. a, a motive, or something like that, or you can understand his side. Yeah. Right. Where this story, it's the the story that's being set up makes it so morally ambiguous that I think that people forget that for the rest of the movie. But it truly is. And again, that's what I that's why I love how the clone wars as a tv show expands upon that and it starts here you can see it in this movie that's just something that i love about um you know the way that, that this movie starts the way that it's set up
0: yeah and i think it's also if somebody was to point at legend of Korra and say that it's plagiarizing star wars it's like well star wars is also looking at you know Real life and history, <laughs> and history of separatist movements, and how they've kind of wanted to secede from uh, the powers that be, and and you know, and uh, the 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 equiv the real world equivalent to the Galactic Republic, um, right. which is, is also something that I thought was was really interesting, and I think that this crawl also has a unique job because at the point of this movie's release, two thousand and two. Other than Phantom Menace to, I guess, uh, A New Hope, I guess, would be the, the equivalent. This is the largest gap in between sequel films. Um, I, I don't really count Phantom Menace because it doesn't necessarily have to, like, connect the two, you know? Right. Um, whereas this film, the, the gap between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones is 10 years, which is not really mm-hmm. something that we had seen up to this point. And uh, The Phantom Menace being a very political movie and having a lot of uh, political machinations in work and and at play here, it's going to have to kind of cover some ground and say, okay, politically, this is where the galaxy was at 10 years ago. How has that evolved? It's also like you could – you know, the real world, it's like trying to get catch somebody up to speed of like, okay, well, politically, where was the country at 10 years ago? And where is it at now? Well, mm-hmm. first of all, you know, like <laughs> kind of trying to explain everything. I think that this crawl really does work for me. And I think it's a very uh, slept on crawl. And I think also people kind of forget this crawl, especially when they're critiquing the Jedi, which I know that we will um, definitely get into because the Jedi Council as a whole is kind of a character of this. Um but the this crawl specifically mentions how the jedi's resources are limited and because of that that has made them kind of uh pray to be kind of have the wool pulled over their eyes so to speak Uh, Mm -hmm. and that they're not necessarily prepared for this sort of uh invasion on multiple fronts you know uh and and a lot of people say that like Well, how could they just blindly accept this army that they've uh that's been given to them and i think that this crawl does a really great job of kind of removing the choice from a lot of them and it makes the end of the movie uh, with Yoda kind of all the more powerful to where they've been thrust into the situation and you also have like Bail Organa shaking his head at seeing the army of the republic and 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 seeing kind of what has spun out of the the sphere and this vulnerability that the republic has now i really like uh, this opening crawl it is very political um and that's something that doesn't work for a lot of people in star wars for some reason i think that this film uh, the politics of it aren't something that a lot of people point to. Maybe it's because it matches the politics with equal number, like pew pews and lightsaber battles. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of lightsabers, more lightsabers than I've ever lightsabered before. And yeah, a limited um, number of Jedi Knights. Are you sure about that? <laughs> there's <laughs> but, so many, <laughs> but even in that, uh, before they leave to Geonosis, Mace Windu has that line of, uh, he's like, I will take the few Jedi that we have and, and go to Geonosis. And so, yeah, there are, you know, hundreds of thousands of Jedi in the or, I don't know the exact number. I could be wrong with uh, wrong about that exact number. But I think it paints this really good picture of their forces are thin. And because of this, they are vulnerable to attack that is not just obvious of, oh, there's an army of battle droids that we need to destroy, but also an attack on the inside and something that they are completely blinded to because they're so focused on this entirely other situation. Yeah, that's that's something that, again,
1: I, I find very interesting is the like you said the the willingness to accept this you know yeah massive you know huge scale army um is again something that that you can kind of understand from a real world context Mm -hmm. is uh I, i mean i love the the dichotomy of well jedi are supposed to be peacekeepers um and now that you know there is legit unrest. I mean, it says it right there. Totally. Um, so painting the picture of, okay, well the Jedi are supposed to be keeping the peace and that doesn't just, you know, at this point now, that doesn't just mean stopping, you know, criminals or, or, you know, outlaws or whatever. Yeah. It means, you know, defending an entire, uh, you know, political group. Yeah. And, and what's so interesting is that, I think that people gloss over the uh, several thousand solar systems have declared their intentions to leave the Republic. Yeah. So yeah. Talk about spread thin. Yeah. And the Jedi are saying, well now the Senate is expecting us to keep the peace by Mm -hmm. joining in this fight. It's the only thing we can do is, um, again, one of those things that says, boy, that master plan really
0: was thought through by, uh, my old Sheev over there, you know. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting how this kind of distrust and fear. Fear is such a in regards to the politics of the prequels. Fear and what people are willing to do in times of fear, uh, that's very prominent in the prequels and that Palpatine is saying, well, they're building their forces and and they're going to come knocking and are we going to be prepared for that? And kind of forcing these other senators to make these calls. I had, I outwardly laughed because it's so funny that um, there's the scene with uh, Palpatine and Orn Frita when they're talking about, um, or uh, not Orn Frita, the, uh, the other jabroni with the big, the- Massa uh, Masameda, Mas yes um, yeah. uh, where they're talking about uh they need to vote for like the the uh the Palpatine to be granted emergency powers and Masameda is literally like oh man if only somebody was here to <laughs> convince <laughs> to convince everybody to give Palpatine uh you know emergency powers oh no and then Jar Jar has this look of he's like wait a minute he's <laughs> <Misa laughs> thinking of somebody you know and then they cut to to him uh, granting them powers but I think this, uh, for, I don't know, do you have any kind of um, theories or ideas of why that this movie compared to The Phantom Menace gets away with some of the politics of this? Because I would say the politics of Phantom Menace are more complicated, uh, but here maybe they're not on the forefront as much. What do you think? Well, I do think that The Phantom Menace struggles with
1: reeling in people with convincing politics, knowing that like... The actual villain was, you know, greedy trade federation, uh, you know, yeah. slums in the first place where yeah. it's like, well, they're not really like, yeah, they're bad guys, but what they're really doing is they're using, like they're exploiting this planet. They're exploiting the rules of the Senate yeah. to gain this power on such a small scale, mm-hmm. on such a small scale that it you know, catapults the rest of the, uh, the rest of the galaxy to say, well, the Senate's not doing a great job at this, 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 and this is how they respond to, you know, somebody making something perfectly, you know, doing something perfectly legal. Mm -hmm. Um, and it seems whatever, if it can be taken a certain way, then yeah, but it doesn't do a great job of showing that the bad guys aren't that bad, which is weird to say, Because realistically, Newt Gunray is the guy that says, my lord, is that legal? Yeah. You know, it's it's <clears throat> not trying as, to yeah, play by
0: the rules. Not as overtly bad as someone like Vader or Malt, where you look at them and you don't have to see anything. You're like, that guy's a villain. You like, know, ah, yeah. He's yeah, they're gonna they, kill someone. They're evil in the same way that like real world like uh billionaires and and you know, are are kind of evil in that sense well, where they're I mean, just trying to I mean that's that's what's happening. No, but there. you're right. Yeah. But are
1: you gonna I mean here's the thing, because I don't want to like say Hey George Lucas, you really didn't make it hard for us to surmise this, um, but the the Trade Federation is so stereotypical mm-hmm. in the way that that they're presented that is kind of unfortunate in that sense. I um, mean, maybe like culturally, a, like sl- yes, yeah, yeah, a real world racial cultural standpoint for sure. Um, that it's it's like it's hard to miss. But mm-hmm. at the same time, people don't make that connection, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, with Attack of the Clones, the politics there are so much more ubiquitous mm-hmm. that people can look at it and say well, I read up on the Civil War and I kind of get why one side would hate the other side. Yeah. And so that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. But when, as soon as you bring in money mm-hmm. and trading routes and exports and imports mm-hmm. and you at least infer all of that and say the invasion there is not actually just because they hate them. The yeah. invasion there is to occupy so that they can continue to have a hold on their business. Yeah. And make, you know, and do something legal. That is not a much harder thing to grasp, but it's, and maybe it's not as compelling. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I think it's because there's not necessarily like a concrete scene or moment to where somebody sits down and explains why the trade federation and why these separatist groups happen to also be businessmen, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's like literally the trade federation, which is, uh, uh the, essentially like Walmart, you know, of the galaxy or yeah. Amazon of the galaxy. And then you've got the banking clan and, you know, all of these other, uh, corporations, no, you techno you yeah, <laughs> love that guy. Let's talk about star Wars weirdos. One of the biggest yeah. ones. Uh, yeah. So bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you've essentially got all of these very capitalist, uh, entities that are, Yeah, they're like markets. They're like separate markets. Exactly. And they're, they're removing themselves from the republic public because of the rules that they're implementing. I don't know if maybe a scene where they could explain all of that would be helpful, but I think it also is to the point to where the, the star Wars, I think up to that point, had not necessarily been established to be the story where you need to tell those types of stories, because I think the some of the beauty, I'm not saying how this is how, how I feel. I think a lot of fans feel this way, especially back in the day, but the beauty of the empire and the rebellion is that it's such a, it's such a uh, joseph campbell kind of mythological story of david versus goliath you've got the small little uh, scrappy rebel fleet then the, the giant oppressive rebellion or uh, empire that has all the resources and all the the weapons and money and, and funding that you need that it, it that kind of cat and mouse there doesn't need a lot of explanation it's it's obvious like i said why the empire is evil yeah. and when vader is just choking out the people who don't necessarily do as good of a job as he wants it's it it makes sense you don't need an explanation
1: yeah when you're healing from the effects of something like world war ii yeah where you have understood that idea Mm -hmm. from a you know from a growing nation a growing group of nations this uh you know force to be reckoned with and in comparison you know the the allies may be um outnumbered realistically it's it's like yeah that's that's a story that's understood and that's politics yeah. that are understood yeah. because that's not something that is just, that's not something that you just see in the Senate. That's
0: something you see on the playground. You well, know, I think it's also something that you see like in the real world in that, um, talking about like the politics of this and and having that idea of the Empire being an obvious villain, like a child can understand that that's the bad guy. I think Lucas was wanting to tell a story here. I think it was obviously very impacted and, and influenced by the politics of the real world at the time. Uh, hopefully yeah. we're not boring our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, for, for, honestly, that you mentioned how this is no, kind of you a you general... signed up for this, guys. You're here. <laughs> you signed up for it. But you had mentioned how this is kind of like a little mini or a big general grievances episode where it is this is like one of the bigger issues of the prequels for a lot of people but I, my point is is that lucas was obviously uh influenced by the politics of of the the era in which these movies were made and i think he's also influenced by the past and how uh there were organizations or or uh c- countries even that would kind of Uh, devolve over time or be taken Mm -hmm. over by this evil oppressive force and oftentimes when you look through history those people don't just swoop in and swarm in and take everything it happens gradually and it is kind of that idea of you know, when you put a, a frog in, in boiling water, it jumps out. But if you put them in, you know, tepid water and then crank up the heat over time, they 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 die. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, I think that the very idea that you can't from a story perspective and an in-universe perspective have this obvious threat because the galaxy would be like, hey, that's a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> even though Palpatine does get scarred up towards the end of this, it's almost too late at that point to where there's not that much that they can do. So, but, but I think the- applause my guy Exactly. Um, I think the very fact that Lucas is wanting to tell this story of how these organizations devolve over time, it has to be gradual and it has to be a story that isn't obvious evil and is something that is happening in the shadows. And there has to be these small steps taken that will make it plausible for us as an audience can go, Oh, I understand why you would eventually get to this point. Because if you look along the way, that's something and that's something and that's something and that, uh, ruling and you know and these things that eventually lead to that i think if you just had a big evil guy just come in and kill everybody i honestly would argue that that's not as interesting of a story and that's one of my favorite things about the prequels and and phantom Menace and and attack of the clones is that if you look at the politics it's depending on if you think it's doled out well is is up for discussion i think the politics of these movies are really interesting
1: (laughs) yeah yeah no, I, I definitely agree with you, and there's something to be said. I think we'll, you know, obviously we'll, we'll be jumping on in. Yeah. Um, but I think there's something to be said about the importance of the Jedi Council in, in the politics. Yeah. Um, it's one of the most important things, mm-hmm. um, and I think if you remove the Jedi Council, yeah, it's just politics, but... The fact that they are there and they represent something, and yeah. they're getting dragged into it, yeah. does make you feel like there is an importance there. It's just whether or not you want to engage yeah. with it. I think.
0: Well, let's dive into uh, some of the characters here, and I have uh, the Jedi Council listed as one of the characters, yeah. and I think that they are definitely a key role in this story. And that again, if you're going to reverse engineer this story, which is kind of how these stories are made, of okay, we have the ending, we know where they eventually lead. How do we get to that point? I think it makes sense that Lucas would tell a story about how the Jedi Council were duped and deceived. And that's in their own hubris and dogma and all of the kind of the things that the prequels deal with, how that causes their own downfall. The, I think a lot of people go into these movies and they say, oh, the Jedi are are they're they're so dumb and arrogant and how could they not see this happening? And they're so mean to Anakin when he first gets there and like they really uh, tear the Jedi down. And although I think that that's true to a degree, it's also kind of the point, like that's the story that Lucas is telling here of how the Jedi failed. It's not the success of the Jedi. They failed. And how are you going to tell that story? And I think it's through something like this of how, I think one of the most frustrating complaints that I've seen lobbed at this movie is this kind of smash cut of windu mace windu saying uh we're keepers of the peace not soldiers and then cutting to them on geonosis almost as kind of like a a gotcha of like oh yeah it's like well you just said that exactly it's like no you're totally missing the point that's the point it's there like that's the beginning of the movie and that's the end of the movie and i that's something that has always frustrated me but what is your kind of uh in regards to this movie specifically the portrayal of the jedi council do you think that that might be a contributing Factor to why people don't really like this movie as much uh, is because of how it portrays the council. And it, do you think it doesn't necessarily live up to people's uh perception or ideas of what the council was in its heyday? Well, that's kind of the thing. Is I
1: think that maybe people were expecting the quote unquote height of the Jedi to be kind of the soldiers that we see in something like the Clone Wars. Yeah. Um. When realistically. And the Phantom Menace makes this very clear, it mm-hmm. makes it very clear that um something like even at the very beginning of the movie mm-hmm. when the two ambassadors are sent to the Trade Federation, mm-hmm. uh, they're not necessarily supposed to be Jedi.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but they were they were sent by uh Chancellor Valorum yeah. because like there was there was a little bit of unrest there. Mm-hmm. Um and that spooked people. So yeah their place in the galaxy at that point was not at all understated. It was understood Mm -hmm. um, by everybody else that they were a certain class of people that was completely separate from the Senate. And then you get into something like Attack of the Clones where they're like, well, we're going to have to wait on these decisions and things because the Senate is doing this Mm -hmm. and we don't want to misalign ourselves with what the senate is doing because we have to still stay kind of, you know, yeah, in in, in agreement with everyone, especially in such a tumultuous time.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it paints them as this it paints the Jedi council as this, you know, this force that that doesn't want to engage with things um, you know, outside of their jurisdiction when realistically yeah. They don't have much of a jurisdiction to begin with. They're not cops. Um, yeah. And that's you know? something
0: that's that's interesting when re-watching these movies is thinking about the relationship th- with the Republic because they really don't have allegiance to uh, – Obi-Wan explicitly says that my allegiance was to the Republic to democracy. But I think it's more of the democracy side of thing is that the Republic – is in favor of democracy and the Republic fights for these things and everyone to kind of the, to the good, so to speak. And the Jedi also fight for the good. So therefore they are fighting with the Republic. And I think that that's something that's really interesting is they kind of have to go with what the Republic is kind of telling them to, uh, and how it's kind of this weird, uh, push and pull kind of relationship with yeah. politicians and Anakin even says as much like they have multiple conversations in this movie where Obi-Wan and Anakin talk kind of shit talk politicians and are seemingly kind of frustrated that they're trying to fulfill their mandate but because of kind of the infighting within not only the council but the Republic as a whole they're not really able to fulfill a lot of their mandates and they're getting forced into some of these conflicts that they have real no business being in I love that you know, when, when Windu sends the forces that they have to Geonosis, they start off with so, so many of them. And by the end of it, they are completely dwindled down. Yeah. And he's right. They're not soldiers. They're not equipped Around for this. Around the
1: survivors,
0: <laughs> perimeter create. Exactly. That's, they're, that's my they're favorite not, line. They're not equipped for this battle and they're not equipped for uh, this kind of war. And they eventually have to... Alter their their ships, alter their clothing, and, and yeah. adopt armor, and adopt all of these different things to eventually kind of uh, prepare for all of this kind of uh, stuff that they're thrown into here. But I also wanted to ask about... The Clone Wars starting at the end of this movie, is that something that has really bothered you um, on rewatches? Do you think that the Clone Wars should have been more of a Phantom Menace thing? Because we hear about in A New Hope, you know, um, you served with my father in the Clone Wars and you kind of have this entire idea of the Clone Wars built up in your head. Is that something that's bothered you? Or is it like, no, I see it. It's an entire TV show and I'd rather it stay that way. Where's your kind of reaction with how the Clone Wars are treated in the prequels movies?
1: Well, I think I would rather it stay in the TV show. Um, I would hate the idea of the Clone Wars starting and then ending in a movie or even over the course of two movies. Mm -hmm. um, Where it's, you know, you see most of it over the course of two movies. um, Because I think that that kind of thing can Mm -hmm. be... I guess very difficult to um, relay any kind of emotion not not necessarily just emotion but like if you're just showing this war where Obi Wan served with Luke's father yeah um, then w- all you're doing is showing a bunch of action where I mean I guess I feel like you would lose out on the actual substance that you have in Attack of the Clones. What's most interesting to me is mm-hmm. The mystery of the clones, you know, the the Sifo-Dyas of it all and the Lord Tyrannus of it all. Mm -hmm. And that idea that the, honestly, (laughs) I think that it's thematically the most important thing that the movie, it's not about the Clone Wars. Yeah. Palpatine's plan had nothing to do with the Clone Wars. It, It didn't have anything to do with this big fight Right, it had everything to do with playing these pawns and setting up the pieces to be able to knock them down eventually.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Do you
1: really think that Palpatine was like, "Well, I need to make a grand army so that down the road they can take out these separatists and we can win the war"? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter how the war turns out for Palpatine. What matters is that there's a war to begin with. And that behind the scenes, he cares so, so less about the war, but cares more about putting the Jedi Council and putting the Republic and putting the separatists in a very difficult and vulnerable position. Yeah. So I'm not watching it and being like, man, I wish there was more Clone Wars in this. I'm watching it and kind of noticing that the Clone Wars, the beginning of the Clone Wars, a.k.a. the end of the movie
0: is the biggest seed
1: that Palpatine plants. And it mm-hmm. sets up perfectly Revenge of the Sith.
0: Yeah, and I think when you say like the Clone Wars doesn't matter, I, 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 I think what you mean is like the the ideology of the Clone Wars doesn't matter. Yes. We're like Palpatine isn't like, no, we're fighting for democracy and you guys right. are just wanting right. to have like free ability to... Uh, He's not concerned yeah. about what side is fighting what side. Exactly. It's more yeah. of just like, let's just start a war and spread the Jedi forces as thin as possible. Oh yeah, also the people that they're... Fighting side by side with at the say of a phrase, I can get them to kill them, you know. I think that that's that's more what it's about, but I think I could see you know, it's trying to fight that sense of me of being like, Oh man, that would have been so cool to see. And I'm not gonna lie, the Clone Wars are one of, if not the biggest contributors to something that has maybe turned on the prequels in a a positive way. Is that we do get to see that? I know growing up, I was a little bit more frustrated of like. Okay, well the Clone Wars are something that we hear so often about or we at least hear about in the very first Star Wars movie and it's frustrating that it ends in the or begins in the second movie and ends at the beginning of the third movie. I would have maybe I think it just makes a little bit more sense in my head at least at that time to have the second movie be that period of the Clone Wars where it should be throughout that entire film. But I think you're right in saying that the story is not as much about the Clone Wars as it is more about, how the the you know the republic has fallen to get to that point, so the setup seems a little bit more important than the actual yeah. war itself. Um, with that being said, would I have liked to have seen like a, a Clone Wars style movie with this cast and really see Anakin and Obi Wan get able to know each other more? Of course, and we're gonna get to that when we get yeah. to those characters in particular. But I think the Clone Wars series is also a great exploration of not just those characters but also lots of other jedi and other people who are not jedi and clones and soldiers and being able to spend time with them as well that it's almost like yeah but if we would have gotten that movie would we have gotten ahsoka as a character you know right. and would like, i
1: trade any of
0: that for
1: a yeah. full clone wars movie i don't yeah. know yeah. i mean Not that there isn't a Clone Wars movie,
0: but I I get what what you're saying. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So yeah, to um, it seems weird to kind of to oh man, what could have been that? Or it's like, well, yeah, you probably wouldn't have gotten all of these other cool things though. But um, yeah, I guess that that's a question for another day. But I will say that I think that that is something that a lot of people um, struggle with. But I think it's something that I've gotten over. But um, I had mentioned it, Noah, that. This is uh, Anakin and Padme's and Obi-Wan's story, uh, first and foremost. Uh, and a, a lot of this movie is also dealing with Anakin's journey here. So I want to dive on into Anakin, who uh, we can go ahead and talk about some of the performances as well as in relation to some of these characters. But, you know, one of the biggest points of contingency uh with people in this movie and one of the the biggest kind of roadblocks to people enjoying this film is anakin skywalker uh not only in his portrayal but also the way that the character is written um we've talked about kind of our baggage with this movie but on this most recent rewatch how did anakin kind of hit you here um i
1: i just gotta say there's so many moments like more moments than the opposite where Mm -hmm. i'm just like giddy listening to him yeah. talk l- watching him perform the whole like i used to forget like, or not not i used to forget i forgot that we used to do this where like when you and i live together mm-hmm. and there'd you know be the occasional star wars quote every some odd hour yeah um <laughs> where <laughs> a large portion of it was the uh was the uh what's what is it uh pull up anakin pull up and he's like "Ah or or just the uh i don't mind flying but what you're doing is suicide yeah that whole bit is don't you can't forget the pedestrian guy that's like what (laughs) Uh,
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) and that of
1: course it's just so burned into my head as something where i watch it and like i just can't help but smile Mm -hmm. and even to the point where like I'll talk to my wife about it. And she's like, I just don't know if I can fully like get on board with star Wars all the time, but Hayden Christensen's hot. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, he is like, good looking he's man. Just, Even with he's that a joy, <laughs> He's a joy to watch. I do think that like, realistically you have to put aside the fact that his crying face is weird when you're watching something like his scene on Tatooine mm-hmm. after finding his mother, you put aside the, those those little gripes yeah. to say well this this scene is incredibly important for what it sets up and that's not just conjecture that's George Lucas being uh you know being really intentional the yeah. same is true with when him and padme have the conversation and uh and he says i think that the jedi council and the senate are stupid and yeah. it'd be really great if one person was really smart and ruled everything yeah obviously that conversation sets things up. Mm -hmm. What matters is not as much his maybe, you know, borderline deadpan performance Mm -hmm. um, or the, you know, lack of interesting writing, not even on his part. Um, But it really is the fact that this contributes to such a wider story. And I think being in the place that we are is we see those things and it doesn't just say like, oh, you watch this and you're like, oh yeah, they're obviously hinting at episode four episode five episode six sure actually you know it extends much further than that now because the galaxy is so much wider Mm -hmm. um i think there's much more to hate in other parts of the galaxy than there is hayden christensen's performance that's my opinion (laughs)
0: And something that's really changed for me because I, one of my biggest complaints with the prequels when I was younger is how I don't feel like Anakin's degradation towards the dark side is quite, uh, kind of telegraphed enough to where it feels really steep. Um, and I think that it's still kind of true to a degree of mostly Revenge of the Sith, where he's well, yeah. Would you say scene, that's a bigger problem with Revenge of the Sith or with this? Yeah, I would say more Revenge of the Sith, and it's just specifically because of one action, which I, I'm not going to talk about, but just the, the whole younglings thing seems yeah. just like, you what? <laughs> like, <laughs> ten minutes ago you were fine, and now you're doing this. And we will we will eventually review Revenge of the Sith, so we can kind of unpack that there. But it was something that I think a lot of fans at the time, and it was something that I I think does deserve its own channel, kind of a general grievances episode. Is I think a lot of fans were expecting Anakin to act a certain way because of how Vader acts, and they were expecting to see. Darth Vader just without a mask on and expecting to see someone whose story isn't a tragedy to where these movies are through and through a tragedy and that Anakin and his downfall to the dark side is not supposed to be a crowd pleasing fist pumping kind of thing. Um, I think it's also... Anakin doesn't just go to the dark side because he gets really mad. It's of him trying to control things and trying to save people the way that he couldn't save other loved ones and like continually trying to avoid all of the pain that he knows is kind of just on the fray there. Um, I think that's something that really stood out to me is how Anakin and his mother really impacts his relationship with Padme, especially in Revenge of the Sith of how this this tragic thing happened to him and he is avoiding that at all costs. And so he squeezes tighter and tighter and tighter until f- things just kind of like they slip away, you know, mm-hmm. and then this yeah. sense of uh, control and his need to be able to save everybody and to become as powerful as he possibly can be. And it's kind of an interesting, I think fans can kind of have a similar sin in a sense is that we see, the Jedi as superheroes in a way of they have these cool superpowers and that they're all powerful and that they can do anything and you can pull down a moon if you wanted to with the force and to do all <laughs> of these things. To where I think that that's something that Anakin is also kind of striving for, and I think it's interesting to see him as a kid and to see you know, um, to see the Jedi and how he looks up to them and he said, No one can kill a Jedi and he thinks that they are they are these kind of all powerful beings. And to see him eventually become one and also be filled with these ideas and this pressure of becoming the chosen one, but also palpatine being like, dude, you're the best Jedi I've ever seen. You're awesome. You're <laughs> killing it, man. You know, like I think They don't kind appreciate of... you like I do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He literally is <laughs> yeah. like he he fill there's that entire scene where he just kind of just fills his head up with hot air. You know, um, and I think it really does go to build to this Anakin that we see in Revenge of the Sith. And I don't think I gave this movie enough credit for that, but there's a lot of scenes like the scene in the pasture where he's talking about, well, somebody should just make people do what they wanted to do and somebody should just kind of force their will upon other people and he and padme talks about how that's no that sounds a lot like like a dictatorship and he's like hey if it works you know and i think that yeah it is a little on the nose but i think it does kind of paint this picture especially for younger children of how these kind of ideologies and uh this the sense of fear i've talked about the kind of the that is a big theme of the prequels is fear and how that changes people and how the fear of losing loved ones eventually leads to what we see in revenge of the sith where it's not this oh hell yeah Anakin is Darth Vader now it's no it's just tragic thing of this kid who just loved people so so much uh and yeah. was so fearful of losing them that he was willing to do literally anything to save them and because of that he ended up just losing sight of everything
1: well i i do want to i hope this isn't too much of a tangent But I want to take that idea because you're totally right. And it's something that I've thought about a lot, actually recently, Mm -hmm. um, since I've watched the Harry Potter movies, Mm -hmm. um, my here, here's where the tangent begins and hopefully I'll be able to wrap it up. Um, (laughs) but I promise it has a a meaningful conclusion. Yeah. Um, so my dad, uh, has his PhD in biblical theology, Mm -hmm. um, and me and him have been talking about like how he needs to get his name out there and he wants to start a website and a podcast and a, you know, and these blogs and whatever. Sure. And I came to him with this idea for a podcast about how, um, after I had seen the Harry Potter movies, I was listening a lot to JK Rowling talk about her process in designing these characters Mm -hmm. and how her quote unquote, uh, Christian faith Mm -hmm. lended a, a hand into designing these characters. But ultimately she Kind of contradicts herself in that and says that the way that she designed these characters and the actions that they take, the behaviors that they have, mm-hmm. um, all of those things for the good guys mm-hmm. um, are rooted in their fear of death. They're rooted in their, their, like how they react to fear. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, she's saying, well, it's really a Christian metaphor and i talked about this with my dad when i was watching the phantom menace and it's it's obviously played out there but here in attack of the clones you see it firsthand mm-hmm. with anakin and shmi where yoda says when he's talking to anakin in the jedi council he says afraid are you and anakin's response is What's that got to do with anything? Mm -hmm. And Yoda says everything. Yeah. Right. And obviously the fear is the path to the dark side, that whole thing. Right. But I like that before that, because everybody knows that quote, right? Mm -hmm. But I like that before that, they say, what has that got to do with anything? Everything. Right. And you see that come to its tragic end, or maybe its tragic beginning Mm -hmm. here in Attack of the Clones the most. Yeah. Yeah. that's something that when you're looking at Star Wars and saying, is it an allegory for these themes? Is it even, you know, a little bit Christian in its themes, Mm -hmm. you're saying, yeah, Anakin's not the, you know, the Jesus figure because he has these like internal battles, these issues that ultimately cause him to fall. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we see in ourselves a lot. I would hope, um, if anything, attack of the clones is the beginning of painting a picture of, how, how do we respond to fear? How would we act in that situation? Yeah. It's something that I have like, I've thought about a lot and having thought about it, it's something that I've really grown to love about Anakin as a character in the prequels, mm-hmm. but the prequels as a whole. And this one is kind of where I feel like it kicks off the most.
0: Yeah. There's another movie that came out recently that I don't know if, uh, you know, most of the listeners have seen, but the newest Dr. Strange movie uh uh the scarlet witch uh goes through like a very similar journey to uh to anakin and it's if you are watching the movie and you look for that kind of stuff it becomes really obvious but they have a very similar arc as well about the fear of of losing people that you loved, and you're willing to do anything to protect them. Uh, it's kind of the similar, the the similar joke with like a peacemaker, to where he says, "I love peace so much, I'm willing to kill any man, woman, and child to get it." Yeah. It's <laughs> kind of the similar thing, where like, "I love you so much, I'm willing to do literally anything, even maybe even kill you to to protect yeah. you," you know. But um, I do want to talk about Hayden Christensen's performance here, because I think that that's kind of the elephant in the room, and I, yeah. I think. Um, that I am thrilled, for one, I'll start off with that, that he is coming back to the Star Wars fandom, and I think the majority of fans have welcomed him with open arms. Um, Very excited for that uh, and to see him back in Kenobi, and I feel terrible, and I don't even exclude myself from that because I certainly made my fair share of jokes um, about him and his performance in this movie. But I will say this. Is his performance a little wooden at times? Yes. Are there probably a couple of more takes that you could have taken of some lines? Do all of his lines work for me in this movie? No, they do not. But I'll say this... A lot of other characters in this movie are the same way. He's no better or worse than a lot of people in this movie. I think the only person who's like pretty excellent and like all of their lines are pretty amazing are uh, Christopher Lee's Count Dooku, who we'll get to. And I think it's because he had a very long career, most of his career, in fact, of being in garbage movies <laughs> <laughs> and delivering great performances uh, throughout all of them. Uh, but I think a lot of people in this movie don't give very great performances. I think that is one of the downfalls of this film or the performances and that's something that is not new you know we've talked about this for 20 years now that a lot of the performances in this movie are, are quite wooden I don't know if it's necessarily just because of the dialogue because Star Wars has always just had very specific Dialogue, the dialogue of a lot of these characters does feel very specific, but Hayden Christensen's a very talented actor, and even somebody like Padme, Natalie Portman, obviously super, super talented, Ewan McGregor, incredibly talented. There's a lot of really talented people in this movie, and I don't think Hayden Christensen does like much worse of a performance than even some of those people who are obviously very talented so yeah do do all of his lines connect with me no but i think on the page i don't think that they're that any more egregious than a lot of other star wars stuff sure sand lines and, and all those kind of memes i get it i understand but i also would argue that some of the appeal to this movie is that you can watch this movie and say some of those lines back and it's still just kind of like a fun almost like a Rocky horror picture show kind of thing to where you're able to like watch it and, you know, talk to the movie and, you know, it's like, it's a, it's complete experience. I don't think that that detracts from the movie. Uh, in fact, I think it kind of makes it uh, memorable. And there are those lines that we all talk about, you know? Yeah. If you're on board with it, then
1: you're, you're loving it, you know? And I do think you're right. One, honestly, that comes to mind is I think that Samuel Jackson's performance is tenuous at yeah, best. I, yeah. I and which is so weird to say, because he's a face. He's a name. Yeah. And his performance as Mace Windu is like, is it intimidating? I mean, slightly. Sure. Um, Is it like, you know, a home run mm-hmm. by no means? Yeah, you know.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's something that as I get older and I become more of a Star Wars fan that likes to celebrate and to love Star Wars, it's not like I watch these movies and I'm like, oh my God, Hayden Christensen's performance is so wooden in these movies or all of these performances are so wooden. I find myself like digging deeper and deeper into like, okay, listening to like every word that these characters say and really try to dive on into these characters and seeing how it connects to other things and seeing how it connects to the original trilogy as well as uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars. So I I think that that's just kind of a, a caveat that I have is like, yeah, a lot of the performances aren't great in this movie, but it came out 20 years ago. You should be kind of moved on from that by now. Yes. I would, I would <laughs> hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do want to talk about uh, Padme in this movie because she, I would argue, is maybe the second most important character uh, in this movie, you know, and her relationship here with Anakin and how uh, his turn to the dark side uh, is is, you know, kind of telegraphed here. I will say, I think as I've gotten older, this is an issue that has gotten more pronounced with me, um, is that I really wish that Padme in the prequels was given a lot more time uh, and given a lot more to do in these movies and I don't just mean hold a blaster and say some cheeky lines I mean show her as a politician and show her as someone who has real political influence and if you look on your you know deleted scenes of your DVD on Disney Plus or whatever there are more than a few scenes of Padme scenes that were cut Uh, there's a couple of scenes that I had honestly never really watched before of Padme and her family like you see her mom and her dad and you get to see the relationship between her and her family but the scenes that really stick out to me is There's a scene that Anakin and Padme are talking to Dooku and she's trying to negotiate with him and not have those uh, aggressive negotiations. And I think that that's a line that really should be in or a moment that should be included in this movie because it's also pays off to what the prior conversation with Anakin had. And it also makes her – someone who really seemed like they tried, and that time for action is then kind of forced upon her. She's like, well, we tried to talk this out. It's the same kind of thing with Luke in Return of the Jedi, where he gives Jabba like multiple chances. He's like, this isn't going to go well for you. Like, Either we can talk through this, or you're going to kind of, I will do what I must kind of mentality there. But there's that scene, and then I would say the most famous one is her... On the Senate floor, so to speak, to where she is pleading to all of the other senators to not take this action and to not take actions that will lead to war. I think that that's something that I am sorely missing from this, but I'm, gra- I'm very glad that that has been explored more, uh, not only in books, but comics, as well as the Clone Wars TV show. So um, I really wish that we got a little bit more of Padme. As far as the political stuff is concerned, we'll get to the romantic stuff in a second. Politically, what is kind of your reaction to Padme as a former, sen- or a former queen now transitioned to a senator? Well, it does make me
1: a little bit sad that when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking, yeah, actually kind of the position that she's in prior to this mm-hmm. is, is she's the handmaiden, you know, she's the, she's not the actual queen, mm-hmm. um, you know, who, who we're seeing. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, I, I mean... It's not a bad thing because I get it, mm-hmm. but in The Phantom Menace, I, I don't feel like we're getting to know Padme as the politician because Kira Knightley is the one we're hearing when, mm-hmm. you know, she's when she's at the Senate and when these things are happening. And knowing that Padme is kind of this young politician that is the one hopefully making those decisions and, you know, and, and learning these things and, uh, you know, using her politician side yeah but we don't really see it in the phantom menace here is where we hopefully want it to be explored mm-hmm. and i totally get it because her um her political viewpoints are mostly expressed in one-on-one conversations when she is taken into safety on naboo yeah and that's somewhat unfortunate because we don't see her as the actual fighting force that we know that she kind of is, you know? Yeah.
0: yeah. And I, I think back to one of my favorite Padme scenes in all of the prequels is in, at the end of the fan or towards the end of the Phantom Menace where she's talking to Boss Nass and is like pleading to him. And that shows the power of Padme. And it also connects to later what we see with her mother and the, the person that she eventually becomes in like a, a post-Return of the Jedi uh, yeah. era. So it's something that has gotten as i've gotten older and i've i've become uh, more of a fan of padme is something that i want a little bit more of in this movie but what we do get a lot from padme is her relationship with anakin which again is kind of another uh, elephant in the room of this of this movie here is that a lot of this movie and the crux of this movie is kind of hinging on their relationship and their their love towards one another so in that regard does this movie hit for you of seeing this love that eventually unfolds between Anakin and between Padme?
1: Um, I think almost there's shades of it, but it like obviously has its, its bumps. Mm -hmm. Um, and the rockiness of it is so like kind of cheeky and funny Mm -hmm. that like when they come into the, the, uh, the genosis arena, um, it just kind of happens. Um, which yeah. is, maybe that's just a movie trope. That's totally fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think everybody knows that Anakin's been pushing for it. Um, hard. And, you know, <laughs> hard. He's been pushing hard. And that really is the only way to get to a girl's heart. Okay, so take notes.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not a relationship I think that a lot of people should uh, strive for. But I, no. I think... I agree. The relationship. Uh, well, and- hold on, wait, wait, wait. Let
1: me, let me, uh, let me just cap cap off my thoughts. Sure. Because I feel like I left that on a bad note. I think all in all, um, there there's nothing if not clear passion, and I think that that's that's good stuff. Yeah. You know. I, okay. I, what were your thoughts?
0: No, I do agree with that. I think that is a good point. Of if if Lucas is trying to tell the story of what we were talking about, of like loving somebody so fiercely that you are afraid to let them go. Uh, that you end up killing them by proxy of that. It's going to portray a relationship that might have a lot of red flags towards the beginning, which I think it (laughs) certainly does. And it's something that, I don't know if it's an unintended thing for Lucas to where I think he is, it's supposed to be kind of a, Oh, we love these characters and we want to get them together to where a lot of people are like, no dude, like (laughs) this is a bad idea. (laughs) It's not a good idea. And Fatima, you're smarter than this to where I think is very clear when watching this movie is there are, I think that's, I, I would say one of the biggest difficulties that this movie walks is that at the same time, this is a story of how Anakin falls to the dark side or slowly starts to kind of see that creeping up on them and how that love and fervent love causes them to do terrible things in the name of that love. I think the fact that the mere fact that you're telling that story makes these other kind of romantic situations and scenes and moments feel kind of creepy in a way to where he says certain things to Padme that should be red flags because they are red flags. Sorry
1: milady, <laughs> And
0: they're almost red flags to us as an audience member to where we go oh see that's what eventually becomes Vader. You know it's it's foreshadowing Vader so very naturally we watch it and be like oh dude I don't know about that Padme <laughs> maybe you should be l- l- talking about that senator that you were mentioning you know and uh that Anakin gets all pissy about you know oh uh Bon Terry Senator Bon Terry not from the Clone Wars the one that she's talking about (laughs) but I know I know what you mean but like the one that she talks about in this very movie to where she said he had big dreamy eyes and Anakin's like all right I get the point you know (laughs) I think he says I get the picture you know um (laughs) but I think that that's it's just a very difficult line to walk and I don't know if Lucas necessarily nails that in this movie and I think also A lot of the love that we see in this movie, their love is almost kind of revealed as a twist in a way to where right before they go out into the Genosian arena, Padme reveals that. And it's I had to laugh a little bit to where Padme says something along the lines of like, these past few weeks have been agonizing for me. And the way she says it, Anakin kind of responds is like what do you mean is almost like I've hated every second with you, but it, (laughs) it eventually is kind of a twist of like, I have that same love that you do, but I'm just forcing myself to not feel those things because of my duty. And I think the very fact that we see, all of this love projected from Anakin and it's not reciprocated from Padme as much. Most of the kind of response that we see from her is just being like, dude, we can't do this versus I love you as equally as you love me because it's treated as a reveal later on. So it's supposed to feel kind of one-sided. I think the fact that the relationship is almost intentionally shown as one-sided and also the movie is at the same time trying to foreshadow Anakin eventually coming to Vader, which just... Comes off as a lot of red flags, (laughs) just practically speaking, I think makes this relationship not work a ton. And honestly, like the, you know, I'm still haunted by the kiss that you shouldn't have given me and all that kind of stuff wears off eventually. It's just part of the kind of the charm of this movie. But just as far as really portraying this relationship that is, you know, across the stars and does result in the destruction of a lot of the galaxy uh which is supposed to feel very big and epic i think is what makes this not work um for a lot of people honestly
1: yeah yeah there's i i hope that at least if there's one thing that people can glean from this it's that um you know there is clear tragedy there kind of through and through is it's it's a tragic love story Mm -hmm. um it's not the, you know, like, wow. And they were perfect for each other. And they, they both, it was love at first sight. And then somehow Anakin was like, oh crap, I'm bad now. yeah No, it's very obsessive. It's incredibly obsessive. And it totally. shows that Padme is stronger than him in a lot of ways up mm-hmm. until a certain point. yeah Um, and you know, that, that obviously there's a, uh, there's a comparison there of Anakin's duty to the Jedi Council and her duty to the Senate that, um, you know, one of them is clearly shirking far before the other. Yeah. Um, but I I love and I, I'm sure you've probably seen this listener. You may or may not know this, but um, just the studies of John Williams's score yeah. um, with this is incredible. I'll sum it up. I'm not going to
0: get into the whole thing, but essentially, well, it's well, uh, uh, so not to interrupt. I do okay, want to, uh, I'll, I'll put a pin in that because I, I do, I do want to get to John Williams as a whole. Uh, oh, okay, all right. In, in, in just a few moments, so not to interrupt you, I would love to hear the the perspective you have on that. But listener, you'll have to wait. Put a pin in breath. it. Yeah, don't don't go look it up while while you're listening to this. Wait for <laughs> We're me to tell you. Spoil it. No, but I um I think there's also maybe like a little bit of a missed opportunity here to tell this story because like Padme is like I, I'm a senator, I can't fall in love, and it's never explained why. It's just like. Okay, are you guys also She's focusing celibate? On her career right you know, now. I think that Duh. that's something that's just like odd. But I think if that is the case, to where senators aren't allowed to love maybe that's something interesting to bring up of like okay are they also not supposed to have attachment because of like these hard calls that they have to make like that's kind of interesting but i think attachment is also like i think we could almost do an entire episode based on attachment in the prequel movies because that's such a big theme uh and that is obviously uh we've kind of talked about that uh, already about anakin and, and his love for padme and i think that that's something that is alluded to but not fully developed in regards to padme then giving him in that attachment and uh that just yeah i like padme in this movie i love padme as a character uh and i just was like man, I, I really was like wanting to sink my teeth into this character, but unfortunately there's not that much there, um, in regards to the politics and to the relationship. And I just kind of, it, it seems mostly from Anakin's perspective, which makes sense because he's kind of the star of the show, but I want a little bit more Padme, just a little bit more, but, um, another big, yeah. uh, uh, portion of this movie. And the reason, uh, the reason for the season, so to speak is Mr. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, I don't know about you, but I love the little journey that Obi-Wan goes on in this film. Uh, he has like this little detective story and he is, he's, you know, tracking down clues and he seems really out of his depth in a lot of places and just seems like he hates this constantly. He's just really grumpy throughout a lot of this movie. And I absolutely love uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) He's very, uh, Good job. <laughs> yeah. He's just like really mad at the whole situation where he's yes. like, I hate flying and he's in the rain and he's all cold and he's just, yeah, he just, just seems very unhappy that he is having to like go on this investigation. But, uh, what is kind of your reaction to, uh, Kenobi in this movie? Is this one of your kind of favorite Kenobi stories? Oh, it totally is. Again,
1: like I'm always there for the mystery of, you know, the clone army
2: mm-hmm. and
1: kind of everything that he stumbles upon is just so great. I think the way that that, the way that that whole entire scene is composed and the way that he kind of like, um, I I guess portrays himself as, as that investigator where he's like, okay, how much information can I get here? Yeah. And the way that he plays that entire scene, um, when he's on Camino is very, very fun. Um, it's, it's peak, it's peak Mm Obi-Wan, um, alone. Um, but it is really great Star Wars, yeah. Um, because obviously you're kind of watching this, and there's not a whole lot of dialogue. Um, I mean, the most dialogue that there is is when he's talking to Jango Fett, and even then, us as an audience member are like. That's the guy. That's him. Yeah. That, and Obi Wan is kind of like, that's definitely the guy. Oh, I, um,
0: the, I I noticed something on this rewatch is that when he's talking to Django and Django steps away and he like go- tells Boba to shut the door, Kenobi is just looking right at the door and just like, there it is. There's the armor. This guy's lying yeah. to me right now. Like he, yeah. <laughs> there's, he doesn't buy it for a second. You know, And I, I never <laughs> noticed that before. Is that he's literally just like. That, this guy's literally lying to my face. I see the armor right there. Uh, but yeah, continue, continue. No.
1: Yeah. That, I think that that's, uh,
0: it's so interesting. I, I feel
1: like this is his, his like little investigation, his journey throughout the movie, his little adventure that he goes on. Yeah. Is very telling of kind of the, the, I guess the wiseness that he has Mm -hmm. um, because one, he's suave and it's great Mm -hmm. just the whole time. Uh, He's so smooth, but more than anything, um, he's gotten wrapped up in this entire thing. That's much bigger than just, you know, it's, it's much bigger than just the Republic, just the Senate Mm -hmm. and just the Jedi council. And he's like still playing it cool. He's still like, I guess like following protocol. He's like, reporting to the jedi council and you know taking all these basically notes of like what he's been learning and throughout it all is Mm -hmm. you know it's it's setting up this entire thing to where obi-wan is now becoming more enlightened and aware of the overall picture and what's so sad is that he kind of doesn't figure it out until it's too late you know the whole thing isn't revealed uh, until it's too late but it makes him a character that's interesting to follow throughout the rest of it because you're like hey man even yoda was clouded by like yoda's vision was clouded by this kind of stuff yeah and the jedi council didn't know what was going on and i stumbled across this
0: huge thing um it's just great yeah yeah it's something that I guess when I was struggling with this movie, and it, it to a degree, but I, it's it's kind of something that the Clone Wars has really helped with. Is I was frustrated that the Clone Wars, or Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith, or and, and Phantom Menace, for that matter, all three of them feature stories where Obi Wan is separated from Anakin and yeah. that they are not together for most of the phantom menace most of this movie and then most of revenge of the sith because lb-1 kind of goes off and does his own thing so that's there and i think the clone wars has really helped with that however i think because of that and i think the reason that lucas does that specifically and that it's a conscious choice is to excuse me is to make anakin vulnerable and is Excuse me, Um, is to make him a character that is falling prey to the dark side. And he doesn't have someone that he can look towards to guidance and that he's kind of having to deal through a lot of these things himself. Yeah. Which not only allows Anakin and his eventual fall to the dark side to be something a little bit more believable, but also we're able to see Obi-Wan go on cool adventures and do cool stuff. Yeah. Um, I love that in this movie that also – obi-wan's little adventure not only does does uh, that for for anakin but it also shows in this movie specifically the kind of the hubris of the jedi council really really well and there's that scene that a lot of people have pointed to uh with Chicosta new uh, and that, oh, if if it's not in the archives and it doesn't exist, it literally <laughs> doesn't exist if we don't know about it. And then uh, Obi-Wan goes to a room of children and is able to like figure it out in a couple of minutes, yeah. you know, and I, there's a, something I, I, I've i talked about before about I've seen these movies a million times and I still kind of uncover something new about them when I watch them. This go around, it was something that so when Obi-Wan walks into the little youngling training you know, classroom that they've got going on there. They're all wearing like similar kind of helmets to what Luke eventually wears with like the blast shield down uh, in, in A New Hope. And I just remembered seeing Alec Guinness in A New Hope and that the way that he says stretch out with your feelings he says it almost like he's a little annoyed and it just made me think of him just being like dude i've seen children do this can you focus <laughs> for a second you know yeah, they're um, all they're all
1: like sitting there just holding their lightsabers and they're just like Pew.
0: Exactly. That's exactly why I thought of it is because they're just like easy peasy, just block, 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 block. And then there's Luke, (laughs) the new hope for the galaxy is just like, can't even defeat me. Exactly. (laughs) And I was just thinking of Obi-Wan's like, God, this guy is our only hope. This is the guy that's going to go toe to toe with Vader. All right. I guess we'll try, you know, I
1: definitely hear it now that you, that you kind of frame it like that. I definitely hear it.
0: Yeah. That was something that I just never really had paid attention to, but, uh, it kind of, uh, kind of, uh, struck me this go around, but um, yeah, go I, ahead. I was go just going
1: to say one thing that, that I do love about Obi-Wan in this and his relationship with Anakin. Cause you kind of brought it up is, um, yes, it is a, a conscious choice that they're, that they're separated. And yes, people hate it. General grievances part, you know, 3.4, <laughs> whatever. Uh, we have to do a whole series on this movie yeah. <laughs> alone. which
0: is like a 52 week step process. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so one thing that I love is that you obviously do start to see Anakin's resentment towards Obi-Wan mm-hmm. um, when he's on Tatooine and he's like, Obi-Wan's jealous, he's holding yeah. me back, you know. Yeah. Um uh, one thing that I love is that you see that and you're like, okay, we get it, right? He's mm-hmm. mad at Obi-Wan. Dig a little bit deeper and you kind of realize Before that, uh, Anakin says, well, I love Obi-Wan. He's the closest thing I have to a father. Yeah. Imagine how you would feel if your father was not only not present all the time as you're now on your own, but also was like, you know, the time that he does spend with you, he's scolding you and he's putting you down and he's holding you back legitimately. Mm -hmm. Like Anakin says, you know, Obi-Wan's jealous. He's holding me back. Obi-Wan's not jealous of how skilled Anakin is. That's a lie.
2: Mm-hmm. Is
1: he holding him back? I Yes, I think so, honestly. Um, I think that Obi-Wan's perspective is that Anakin is really powerful, and he can be dangerous, and Obi-Wan's trying to protect him. Yeah, And Anakin sees that as this this mentor that I have, who's mostly absent is still wanting to control me yeah. and I'm sick of it. I think it, it, yeah. it,
0: it, it is a piece of that, but it's also, and I like, we are going with this because this is also like an issue that I've had with the movie is that like, okay, so we don't get a lot of time with Obi-Wan and Anakin together, but when we do, Obi-Wan's just bitching at him the entire time. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> yeah. the brother that he later cries about. Give me a break. But I think it's something that has helped over time and has made Obi-Wan a more interesting character. It's like, okay, that's there obviously over Obi-Wan is just constantly bickering at Anakin and I hate when he does that and like dude keep your lightsaber on you and he's just like that entire Coruscant chase he is just yelling at him um which honestly Anakin kind of de- deserves well, it what you're nearly doing a suicide exactly uh, yeah. but but okay it's like so that's there but why is Obi-Wan doing that and I think you're exactly right of like there's a lot of pressure on Anakin and he kind of wants to make sure that he does a good job but also Obi-Wan made a promise to Qui-Gon and that was the very last thing that he promised him. It was literally his dying wish is that he would train Anakin. And so I think he's just putting a lot of pressure on him to make him the best Jedi that he can possibly be. And again, like Anakin kind of squeezes him so tight to the point that he kind of slips through. Uh, I think that that's very intentional. uh, And I I think you're really onto something there.
1: Yeah. I hope that more people kind of can maybe adjust their mindset and and look at it that way. I know it, maybe it's it's difficult, but like I love that that line of thinking that there is a reason for it there and mm-hmm. it is unfortunate it is tragic that Obi-Wan unfortunately is pulled away from Anakin so many times to to where things just go badly, you know.
0: Yeah. And I think it's also something that, hey, man, there's a new Obi-Wan Kenobi series. And I think there's a certain uh, uncle who's going to have a lot to say about that. And he says, hey, remember that other guy that you helicopter parented? Uh, (laughs) Didn't go as well for him. Okay, so I'm seeing a lot of great memes of that kind of comeback that Uncle Owen has in that trailer. And so that really uh, that really makes me uh, think of that. But um, yeah, I also something that I really love about this. And it's something that the prequels I don't think get enough credit for. And I do want to talk about kind of the lore that this movie um, adds here because that's uh, one of my favorite things about this film. But I, uh, I think when you have the original trilogy that comes out, people say, I want to know more about this and I want to dive on deeper. And so George Lucas says, "Okay, I'm going to see you where the Jedi sleep where they live, who they hang out with, what they do from their day to day. Uh, Can they date? Uh, What are taxes like in Star Wars? You know, what are restaurants like? What are more like, what is a sports bar like in Star Wars? (laughs) So it dives into all of these things. What's like New York City like in Star Wars? But I, something I love about this in, and it goes to what I was talking about with the Jedi council is Obi-Wan is a kind of person that is like, I don't have the information that I need here and I need to go to someone who has that kind of uh, wisdom there? And so he I goes, need you to
1: find a way to bring him
0: in. I'm gonna bring him in, but I have a a reason, and it's not just like blind love for the silly character. It actually is also like thematically mm. important too. Okay, I'm scratching my chin, but uh Obi-Wan in search of this information that the Jedi Council doesn't have, and because they don't have it, they think it literally doesn't exist. Obi-Wan goes to a street level character to find that information that is none other than Dexter Jetster, who say what you will, it's a 50s diner, it's silly, doesn't work in the does it work in the movie? Probably not. It's a little goofy (laughs) of this of the 50s diner. But more importantly I love it because it's a 50s diner and because it's silly and stupid. And just like the speeder that Anakin steals earlier in the movie, it's a nod to kind of like 50s American graffiti kind of love that George Lucas has for his childhood, not just the Flash Gordon side of things. But I love what it means for the Jedi Council and what it's like this wonderful little kind of short story there of obi-wan needs information the jedi council doesn't have it because of their hubris so he goes to someone who has the world experience and the the ear to the ground kind of perspective and i it's legitimately one of my favorite lines in this movie is when dex says like i would think someone like you would know the difference between knowledge and wisdom such a great line you know so so great and i don't know if it gets enough credit because it is so like Oh, the four leg, the four armed guy who scratches his ass and works at a diner. That guy, and I'm like, no, there's. I think there is a lot of insight there and a lot of perspective and precisely what we've talked about here with the Jedi Council and you know what kind of leads to their downfall. No, I don't think Dexter telegraphs that and he necessarily understands (laughs) that, but I think it's there nonetheless.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of again what I was talking about before with Obi Wan is the things that he learns is he's you know kind of the one out of the entire, you know, Jedi Council, he's the one that starts to put the pieces together, that yeah. realizes it before everybody else, but unfortunately it is too late. But it, that's yeah. that's a great moment to point to, to say Obi-Wan is starting to learn that, you know, maybe the Jedi Council is not all put together uh, as, as they would make it out to be, you know? Exactly,
0: yeah. And I, I, I think that's also, I do want to get to kind of the... Um, you know that we we've talked about the deep stuff. We've 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 dove in deep here into some of these characters, but. There's also the kind of the fun kind of pew-pew-pew side of things. We get to see a lot of Jedi in this movie, which is great. You know, that's something that as fans, there's a whole generation of people that were like, I want to see an army of Jedi. And even though it is still relatively small, like compared to what we know of how many Jedi there are, and even back in like the Old Republic kind of days, I think it's still really fun. And it kind of scratches that little part in my brain where it's like you see the battle droids and the Jedi running at each other. And it's just like yeah you know it's oh, yeah. fun it's cool and you also get introduced to some of my favorite jedi with plo Koon. i know he's an attack and a phantom menace but being able to see him in action being able to see kit fisto in action and get, getting uh, to spend time with some of these other weird jedi i also want to point out i've never really thought about this before and i looked online and there's not like an answer for it at least not one that i could find but like those lightsabers that are tossed to Obi-Wan and to Anakin, are those just like spares? Like, do are those just used for training? Did somebody die and did they take their lightsaber? Like, where do those lightsabers come from? Do you have any kind of like headcanon about that? Well, it's weird because
1: I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people's, uh, what's it called? Their their tendency is to really gravitate towards, well, why do certain characters have certain color lightsabers? That mm-hmm. matters to people. It yeah. really does when in kind of in reality uh George Lucas's idea was that it didn't matter mm-hmm. um clearly. Um, so in in my head, those well, are well, we, we can talk about that continue in I, your head. I, I know that it does like I know that it does matter, mm-hmm. but like realistically, why are both of them both of them are green right no uh anakin's is is green and the obi-wan's is blue yes you're right okay yeah because now i'm i'm thinking of that in the uh in the count dooku fight yeah. but just knowing that one of them was green means that it was somebody important right um i mean i guess if we're following that kind of that part of canon that that says why people built certain lightsabers. If you had to be a master and whatnot Mm -hmm. that I don't know if George was thinking that when he made the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, but realistically, like I think I think that there's, I think that they're like training lightsabers, honestly.
0: I think so too. But I, you're talking about like the uh, importance of lightsabers. I think you can still say that they're important because both of those lightsabers don't last very long. And I That's think it's true. I, I think it's interesting that maybe the, the one that you build, you have like a deeper connection with, and like the force is able to flow through you better, you know, it's uh-huh. kind of like. Like if you borrowed somebody's like drum kit or something like that, you kinda have to move <laughs> the snare like to where you kinda want it, you know. And you You're kinda like, oh, have to This just doesn't feel yeah it's you like gotta I'm like, wearing a
1: pair of pants backwards. You, you know? gotta like
0: tune the guitar just right of kind of how you like it, or you gotta adjust the neck strap, you know. I think it's kind yeah. of something like that. Um, where these lightsabers probably are just like the default training ones or something like that. Um, or maybe they're one of the Padawans, you know, <laughs> that wasn't like doing so well in class and they kinda had to adjust the length of the blade or something like that. Right. Um, but yeah, that's something that just kind of, um, uh, kind of uh, popped out to me, but I also wanted to talk about, cause there are some more characters that I do want to get to, uh, Mr. Count Dooku. So Dooku, I think is a very interesting star Wars character and somebody that has been, uh, uh, you know, a, a thoroughly explored in other uh, ancillary Star Wars material. Uh, but Dooku does not appear in this movie until one hour and 16 minutes into this film. Is that something that has bothered you? Is it something that continues to bother you? What's kind of your reaction to Dooku in this film here? Um,
1: Out of all the things, because I've been, you know, as we've been having this conversation, I'm kind of like, well, I think that's it's, you know, it has this purpose. It's still weird, but whatever. But mm-hmm. this is something that that does still bother me mm-hmm. where like the threat is talked about and it's there, but you don't, again, like you said before, it's just a chain of people acting on someone else's behalf mm-hmm. until we actually see Count Dooku. And what actually ends up happening is that his, like his appearance is so odd. And the way that he like presents himself to Obi-Wan that dialogue that they have is so interesting it's really 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 like fleshed out yeah in a way that i think most people kind of forget or maybe don't notice mm-hmm. um that it's it is some very interesting dialogue because obi-wan is there and he's kind of looking for answers um and count duke is like <laughs> count duke is just giving him the answers oh for sure yeah you know um it's just a really interesting dynamic and then you kind of you kind of falter into okay, we just mount Count Dooku and now he's just your average bad guy. Um, It is something that definitely bothers me. Yeah,
0: I think Dooku is such an interesting character, but I don't think he's necessarily portrayed in a super interesting way in this. I love the scene between him and Obi-Wan. It's one of my favorite scenes in this movie. And it is one of the scenes that I'm like, I think both performers are doing like a really great job in that. And there is a lot of truth revealed by Dooku to the degree that like Kenobi is kind of deceitful of like, why would you be telling me all of this kind of stuff? But I think the movie could have used maybe a scene early on to where Dooku was maybe trying to rally other systems to his cause because he mentions that later in the movie uh, to where he's having that kind of secretive meaning that Obi-Wan is listening in on. I think it would have been interesting to see that, to see kind of the more public face of him. That way that turn of him igniting his lightsaber might be a little bit more impactful. But I think him being introduced in this movie so late, later on in the film does lead this movie to kind of have a similar issue to what... Um, The Phantom Menace has is that like, who's the antagonist of this movie? you know like who's the bad guy of this is it Django Fett like yeah kind of to a degree it's the government it is the government and I think that that's what Lucas is trying to say here but I think that there should have been maybe somebody who's maybe a bit more of a clear and present danger yeah, the
1: face yeah. yeah
0: who is the face of all of those things because I think that that's also pretty in line with what we see later on in the films also like the sequel trilogy like what that movie is saying from like a deeper philosophical level is kind of um personified through kylo um and i think that dooku also could have been something similar to that um i really like the character of dooku but a lot of the things that i do like about him are things found in other films and other or uh in other works other comics and and that great audio drama of jedi lost i think all that stuff is really interesting but we just don't really get that much of him in this movie yeah well Um, i would have have preferred a bit more from him
1: I have to imagine that like, if there are, uh, if there are solar systems that are wanting to secede from the Galactic Republic, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um, that, and there is a face behind it. Count Dooku is the leader of the separatists. Yeah. Um, I have to imagine that that would be a legal process that would require some kind of like, I don't know. I don't know if people know this, but like. Texas as a state tries to secede from the United States, like once every couple years <laughs> and they have to like present their case and everything. And they yeah. always get shut down obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, there's always a few people that are like, no, we want to be our own country cause we're so big. Yeah. And that kind of thing has its procedures. I have to imagine that that would be the same where Dooku is somebody that throughout the entire film is portrayed as a coward and as somebody who's hiding and running away. Yeah. And, realistically like when mace windu pulls his lightsaber on count dooku it's just like okay guys party's over you're being arrested yeah for what i don't like that part doesn't click with me where count dooku hasn't done anything except for try to secede from the republic but the republic is saying nope slap on the wrist you cannot do that and that's like Maybe that has some thematic relevance in terms of their actual Mm -hmm. jurisdiction and how they view that kind of thing. Maybe it has to do with like, well, they're doing it in ways that are, you know, hurting innocent lives. They're invading places. They're, you know, whatever. I don't know. It's just, it's an odd turn in terms of the politics of the rest of the movie.
0: Yeah, I think it's also because Dooku is not necessarily seen as a politician, where he definitely is, you know? He is, like, the political uh, leader in the face of the Confederacy, and I think, yeah, maybe could have done with the scene early on to where he is appealing to the the Senate, and he says, like, maybe formally is, like, we are leaving and you can come with us, like, I'm no longer going to be appearing here in the Senate, that could be really interesting, or to, because I know Dooku is also somebody who comes from a lot of money, and, like, also capitalize on the fact that he used to be a Jedi and that he's really seen the inner workings of like who their police force is. And that has caused him to want to leave even more. I think a lot of that stuff would really so- uh, serve the story and also serve him as a character to kind of be this, Oh, I'm just this really charismatic guy who has a lot of political influence and here you guys are trying to trying to kill me but really they have this evil plan going on like Palpatine does maybe that's the problem maybe they're if they did do that they would just be the same thing as Palpatine but I don't know. Maybe Palpatine could use him as kind of a red herring in a sense of like, no, that guy is a really political, the, the super evil political guy who's also a Sith Lord. You guys worry about him. I'm going to be off over here doing my own kind of thing. Right. So I think all that could be really, really interesting. I do love uh, Christopher Lee in this role. I love his saber. I love the way he fights. I love his costume. I love everything about Dooku. And I, I really like this character, but being able to dive on into them a little bit more would be great. But speaking of antagonists in this film... Uh, last big character that I kind of want to talk about and then we can move on to some other ideas here. But Django Fett is a, is a big character in this movie. And I also included Boba Fett in that because they're very much intrinsically tied. It's something that I it's kind of weird to think about because it's just always been there. It's just always been a part of Star Wars lore, much like. I mean, always been there for as far as you and I are concerned, the same way that Darth Vader also built C-3PO, you know, but that's something that audiences had to be like, wait, what? They, what? they had to kind of wrestle with that. Yeah. Is that something that has ever really bothered you that the army that the Republic uh, is, is gifted in a way is Boba Fett's dad? Is that ever something that's bothered you?
1: Honestly, no. I think it's, it's something that's really interesting only because, again, you're looking at kind of the... The history behind this how long has the has the clone army been you know in production Mm -hmm. um you know what's the what's the timeline here um i guess the thought there is it's like i don't know if i don't know if jango fett necessarily is this you know giant red flag of the army is you know coming from This one guy um, who's definitely shady is just one of those things that's, you know, where there's an underworld aspect of this that is tied together way more than our heroes understand. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's uncovered, obviously, when, you know, in the end, it doesn't matter because you get the clone troopers who are the, you know, the purposeful... Uh, kind of oxymoron to the battle droids yeah um which is which is great because then the jedi are saying well that doesn't matter because that guy's gone you know he's got his head chopped off Mm -hmm. and these clone troopers obey our every command you know um it's it's the purposeful separation of kind of the you know the legacy versus the um the predecessor you know
0: yeah i think because there's so much distance between uh boba fett in this movie and then empire strikes back it still leaves that room for mystery and wonder of like yeah. the mystery of boba fett and you don't see him as like a big part of the appeal to him but i think it's because of what happens there's still so much of like oh my gosh that's still so many years later so like what did he get up to in, the, in that in the meantime and I, we have seen some of that of course in the clone wars um as well as some other animatics and comic books and things like that but um i think that that's something that does of leads me to not be as bothered by this um, also Django just looks super cool <laughs> yeah, he does. I, I think Django looks cooler than Boba Fett I don't know if that's a hot take or just maybe my age showing a little bit here but I do like the character of Django a lot I think it's interesting to show why he's chosen you know and that he is this really profession killer which also like shows that Boba like grew up to be this I think I what I like about Django is more of what it means to the character of Boba Fett um jango i just other than just being really cool you know i don't know if there's necessarily a lot of depth there i don't also know if it's super necessary other than being a foe for um for obi Wan to go up against i think the clones themselves um and and what they mean and and you know kind of the yin to the yang as you had mentioned to uh to the battle droids uh, that's all very thoroughly uh, uh explored in the clone Wars series not as much in this movie here um, but yeah, I really like the character of Django. It doesn't really super bother me that again, the clone template is just Boba Fett's dad. Um, right. right? The C-3PO thing is a little odder to me, but, um, uh, regardless it's, it's just something that I've just kind of grown up with. So I've never really like super paid attention to it, but even after kind of putting a microphone up to it in a way, it, it, it doesn't really bother me. I,
1: I also think on a production standpoint, um, it's just a cool utilization of that idea that, yeah learning from the the you know the under the helmet documentary learning that there was a process behind like okay well what is this super soldier going to look like well it's going to look like this yeah we can't do that one thing and then moving from that to saying okay well now we need to know what the stormtroopers predecessors were yeah and and now working backwards um is i think production wise that's really interesting i think Mm -hmm. it i think it fits really well you know
0: yeah absolutely um any other kind of final thoughts Noah, on some of these characters before we move into some of our uh, favorite scenes favorite moments i think i think i'm all good on on characters yeah we are uh we i told you we're gonna be talking about this movie for a while glad it is a slow news week um uh, but yeah. I, I do want to move into some of these characters or some of these uh <laughs> we're doing characters again no no <laughs> some of these uh scenes here noah do you have any uh favorite scenes or favorite lines from this movie um, favorite scenes. I, I
1: think that you know everybody points to the Gen Ocean Arena and everybody points to the uh, the clone troopers coming down and and shooting through kind of the dust storm at the battle droids. G- you know, great shot, great moment. But all in all, uh, my favorite scene is and always has been the mm-hmm. Zam Wessel
0: chase, and yeah. that's just that's just how it is. Yeah. As far as um, scenes of action, because I feel like I have to like put two different camps in this of like, okay, what are oh, cool yeah. action scenes? What are cool dialogue scenes? Uh, the GN Ocean arena obviously is a very popular one. I almost like the moment before that of like the gladiator kind of moment. Like I think that that's really fun, and I love Obi Wan going up against the that giant crab looking thing. The I acklay. think that the, the Ackley and the Reek and all that kind of stuff. I think that that's super funny, uh, yeah. uh, uh, and it's uh, a great callback to uh, you know like a Jason and the Argonauts kind of thing. And I, I there's a lot of great moments in that where Obi Wan just throws a spear at it and he's like, "Yeah, I got you," and then it like rips it out and bites it in half. <laughs> and he's just like, he has this look of like, oh man, I thought that was really going to do it. Um, <laughs> that's a really fun moment and it's a, that to me is like pure Star Wars and the same kind of energy of Star Wars is like Return of the Jedi. Um, that's such a, such a great moment there. Um, as far as uh, character, kind of deeper conversation moments, um, I love the scene and the conversation between um, Dooku and Obi-Wan. I think that that stuff is uh, really interesting uh, and I also uh, really like the the conversation that Obi Wan uh, and Anakin have uh, when the Padme is being kind of preyed upon by the little slugs because it talks about Anakin and his relationship with his mother and just kind of how the Jedi view um, uh, attachment and relationships and all of those kind of things. I think all that stuff is really interesting. Apart from just like the yeah the lightsabers and the clone troopers and all that kind of stuff, I love that stuff. And I you know and and that's one of the big reasons why this movie appealed to me so much as a kid
1: yeah i i honestly think that one's up there um that dialogue between them um obviously most of their dialogue obviously it's limited but their most of their dialogue um is very intentional it's really really good stuff um when they're talking on the elevator really Mm. really great dialogue um obviously because it's funny and because there is substance there but there's a little bit of exposition and i think it works really well between them Um, and I also really, really love, um, I I love most of the interaction, uh, Mm. between Anakin and Padme, um, on Naboo, because it's like, you kind of have to, you have to get past the awkwardness of it to actually hear what they're trying to say when they're on the transport, like that's great conversation. I love that kind of development of both of them together, um, those are some of my, my favorite. You mean like when they're on stuff. like
0: the bus, like the, like, <laughs> like yeah, the, it's like the, the,
1: the yeah, the little Star Wars yeah. Greyhound.
0: Yeah. Uh, cause yeah, yeah I, like, I go I, through actually, the food yeah.
1: line and, and the, the droids like smacking r2d2 or whatever he's like hey stop taking the mashed potatoes or whatever <laughs>
0: <laughs> actually i uh, the scene where uh, obi-wan and anakin and then uh, uh, Padme and her handmaiden are like on the public transport i went back and actually like rewatched that scene a couple of times because i like really there's some interesting character stuff in there um i'll i'll uh, go first in case you need to uh, uh, look into it a little bit do you have any uh, favorite lines in this movie because there's a couple here that uh, kind of pop out to me Oh, gosh, there's just so many, because I, in
1: my head, I'm like, okay, is it... Like, what's good about this line? Is it mm-hmm. the, like, um, what is it? Sorry, Master, I c- couldn't find one that I liked, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Is it something like that, or, you know, is it something like Yoda being, like, begun the Clone Wars have? Yeah. It's, it's really really difficult for me to pick a favorite, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. let me get back to you. Let me get back to you.
0: Yeah, I the line you had mentioned a line that I really like is uh, it's the last lines of the movie and Obi-Wan says I have to admit that without the clones it would not have been a victory. Yoda replies, victory victory you say. Master Obi-Wan not victory. The shroud of the dark side has fallen, begun the Clone Wars has. I think that that's a great line, a great way to end the movie of that like this thing that has been alluded to is finally happening and this would eventually are kind of the last days of the Jedi, you know, and uh, uh, is, is what it kind of is their their downfall here and and something that they didn't really have any control in is is what ends up taking them out i also love this line from anakin where he says attachment is forbidden possession is forbidden compassion which i would define as unconditional love is essential to a jedi's life so you might say that we are encouraged to love i kind I of like was, this I, I was really kind of like
1: oh that one's really good
0: yeah yeah and it's kind of this interesting twisting of the dogma of of the jedi to anakin just kind of he's feeling all of these feelings and he he wants to kind of um make it okay not that they're not okay but just in his mind to kind of make them okay and uh, uh and, and why attachment and possession which i think is kind of a key word are, are things that are okay for him and he's kind of rationalizing them in a really interesting way i think that that's a a great uh anakin line there
1: uh i definitely have my favorite uh it's it's a little bit more than just one line, okay. Um, but the the moment where uh, Anakin and Obi Wan and Padme are in the Republic transport, not mm-hmm. not the bus, not the public city, you know, uh, <laughs> transportation. No, the uh, they're in the Republic gunship following oh, yeah. Dooku, yeah. and Padme gets knocked out, yeah, um, and uh, <laughs> and Obi Wan says when Anakin's like put the ship down and Obi-Wan says, Anakin, don't let your personal feelings get in the way. And then he yeah. goes, follow that speeder, you know, just to the pilot without even letting him respond. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Obi-Wan's explain he explains himself and is like, I need you. I can't, you know, I can't take Dooku alone. Yeah. And then, the, you know, that whole thing. And he's like, she would do her duty. Yeah. That stuff. Oh God. It's just so, that's so good. Yeah. That, like, That performance between the both of them Mm -hmm. is stellar. I love it.
0: Yeah. And it's also showing that like Anakin is willing to put anything on hold just to protect her and even this, uh, his Jedi mandate and, you know, and and, and all of that stuff. And not even that,
1: Obi-Wan is totally aware. He's totally aware of it,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, lots of great lines. I'd mentioned the Dex line is, is also one of my favorites, the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Um, I also wanted to, um, ask, do you have any, uh, scenes that you still struggle with here or any, uh, lines that you struggle with? I think scenes are a little bit more obvious. Obviously the, the lines that you can point to, I think are almost memes at this point, but do you have any, uh, scenes or moments that you're still like, uh, even 20 years later, don't super work for me. I think the only one that comes to mind, because like
1: you said, like I've come to grips with a lot of it, the, you know, Mm -hmm. when, when Anakin and Padme are talking by the fireplace, like yeah, that's, that's hard, you know, that's rough. Um, I do think though, the one scene that I struggle with is when they are in the pasture uh, and Anakin's riding that thing and then. falls off and it's really horrible to look at. Um, and then kind of their conversation afterwards. And he's like, Oh no, I'd be too frightened to tease a Senator. I'm like, "Yeah, Ooh, yuck. Ooh. I would (laughs) never want anyone to look at me and say that. Ooh.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I think that's Um, the only one. Yeah, a lot of the like we've talked about the Padme Anakin stuff just because of some of the character stuff that's going on. And then also, you know, the some of the lines being said, it could just be a little funny at moments. Um, Something that still doesn't super work for me is the uh, Yoda versus Dooku battle. Um, It's not something that I am a huge fan of. I think it could have been a really interesting opportunity to show kind of a force battle because we've seen a lot of lightsaber battles. Um, and I thought maybe a battle of the minds could be really interesting, um, you know, like kind of like scanners, but in Star Wars, yeah. you know, like, oh, I think yeah. that, <laughs> that could have been really cool um, to see. OK, Yoda is someone that is so strong with the force. And we've seen what he can do with that. But what do we see him like in combat? That could be really interesting. But we um, do see yeah. a, a bit of it. But uh, what are you going to say? I
1: will say like, well, first of all, the their force battle that they have reminds me a lot of the M. Night Shyamalan uh, Last Airbender movie, uh, where like things are just kind of floating at each other slowly, yeah. Um, but there, like, I think there is context now, which is hilarious that that in you know the year two thousand and twenty one, I guess yeah. yeah, it would have been in two thousand twenty one. Uh, there is context given to Luke saying to Grogu in the book of Boba Fett, like Master Yoda used the Force to jump around and do all this stuff because yeah. he was so powerful, and yeah. it's like. I mean, I guess so, but yeah, they're like, I don't know. It it somewhat defeats the purpose of Yoda saying that the that the force is used for wisdom and defense. Yeah. Um So I don't know.
0: It's yeah, quite, I don't. Yeah, it's uh, that Yoda line doesn't bother me as much. It's more of just, I guess, him's you know saying for my allies the force. I would just think. Yoda when he is fighting, I I my issue is more of like that could have been something different and like we only get a little bit of it, you know. And I think that could have been like a really unique fight um, because we are still getting that kind of itch scratch of the Jedi duel, like lightsaber yeah. duel between Obi Wan and Anakin and and Dooku, um, and to see like kind of a whole different style of thing would be would be really interesting. But I also am uh, just not a big fan of uh, Yoda screaming and yelling and flipping and yeah. the flips. D- the flips don't bother me as much, but the um, Cause that's if you you know if you're gonna whack somebody on the head you got to jump pretty high to do it I imagine but um, yeah the screaming and everything just doesn't super quite work for me I will say money shot of him like you know opening his robe and using the force to flip around his lightsaber sick shot sick trailer yes. shot um, in the movie totally works I imagine in 2002 I wish I could be in the crowd during that it was like yeah, yeah. seeing that kind of moment but um, um, yeah the screaming stuff doesn't that quite that- work for
1: me. I think another part of that that um, frustrates me every time I see it is Mm -hmm. knowing that in the behind the scenes, Christopher Lee was like, my favorite thing that I did on the set of Star Wars was all of the sword (laughs) fighting and the dueling. And then like, you can clearly see that Christopher Lee is not the one doing that. It is totally a CG face. Uh, The CG replacement. Yeah. That's super frustrating because it's like, Christopher Lee, come on, you're what are
0: you doing, man? I imagine he did some Don't of it, but lie. he's an old, he's an old man. I imagine he did Don't a little lie. bit of it. <laughs> like, he's
1: like, yeah, he's like 70 years old and he's like, Oh, I, I trained for all this old play in and they're like, no, no, you didn't man. No, you didn't.
0: Uh, I imagine he's just talking about that one shot where they're like the blades are going in front of them with the lights and stuff like that. Yeah. And he's got um, a
1: very creepy smile. Yeah.
0: I uh, want to talk about, um, so you kind of mentioned it there? Kind of a nice segue here. CGI in this movie. A uh, lot of it, a lot of CG Oof. moments, a lot of, uh, that's kind of another big, uh, big issue that people have with this movie. Where do you stand on the old attack of the clone CGI argument here? I think a lot
1: of it is passable. Um, the Zam Wessel chase is really great. Um, especially them flying around. I don't see any issues there. Maybe that's best because it's nighttime and you don't really, yeah. you're not really seeing a whole lot of people. Um I don't know. I mean, when I think of like bad CGI in the prequels, attack of the clones has a hard time really making a case for it being the worst in a lot of places. Um, Mm -hmm. but there's obviously some rough bits. Like I said before, Anakin falling off of that weird slug looking thing. Um, Count Dooku's face really rough. Um, I think, the only other, the only other thing that really bothers me is the slice of like pear apple thing oh, that dude, Anakin floats towards Padme and she like slopes yeah. it up. Yeah. Oh boy. Watch that scene in like point, point five X speed on YouTube. They like comp out like yeah. the, the slice of whatever it is. Um, instead of having her like eat something that's on like a, a green screen stick It's like totally CGI and she's like pretending to eat it and it's horrible. It's so rough.
0: Yeah, it is. uh, It is no good. And I also noticed something that like there's in that very scene with the pair. um, That scene begins with Anakin seemingly telling a story. He's like talking about. Uh, aggressive negotiations and the story yeah. just stops. And then he like floats this pair to Padme. Very, <laughs> very silly moment. Uh, yeah, it's very like an awkward si- silence
1: that he is like, I know just what to do in this lull.
0: Yeah. 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 It's a very odd moment, but yeah, the CG, it, I firmly believe this is the ugliest Star Wars movie. Really? Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of great shots in this movie, a ton. If you just look up, like, anima- Attack of the Clones cinematography, there's like a lot of great, great moments in this movie. I will say most of those shots are wide shots. Most of those shots are like kind of stand.
1: Yeah, a lot of them are establishing
0: shots, which I want to talk about. uh, Some of the like design of this movie, because I think that that's very important. But I don't think that this movie utilizes close-ups enough. A lot of the characters are shot like uh, kind of in medium uh, shots. I don't think there's enough shot variety in this movie. There's like. probably uh, i mean i'm not gonna throw a number on it not enough uh close-up shots that i I kind of would have preferred um there is don't get me wrong tons of gorgeous shots in this movie but i think there are more shots where it's just very clearly people standing in an entirely blue room you know (laughs) (laughs) like a blue screen room uh i totally understand what George was going for here that he just wanted to tell a story and utilize technology in a way that it hadn't really been used before and and, and you know, really kind of flex that and, and to really make that the driving force of a lot of things. Also this being like the first digital movie, like one of the first, not maybe the first, but one of the first uh, movies on this scale to be shot entirely digitally. All of that stuff is amazing. This movie is also very colorful, which I really appreciate. uh, But I just think overall pound for pound, this is the ugliest star Wars movie um i would say maybe closely followed by the first star wars movie which also might be a hot take um the first really? being like a new hope yeah i mean compare it compared to the other ones um but that that might be a bit of a hot take but um i do want to talk about the design of the movie um i think it's gorgeous uh, i think the a lot of the <laughs> design of the the creatures in this movie looks amazing wait a minute <laughs>
1: Wait a minute. What's up? You just yes. ping ponged. You were like, This is by far the ugliest movie. And also it's gorgeous.
0: No. Which is I mean, hilarious,
1: like- but you're right.
0: No, I'm saying the way that the movie is shot, I think, is ugly. I'm talking right. about the design right. of ships and the design. It was of... just a
1: funny. It was just <laughs> yes. a funny.
0: No, you're totally right because I'm like my well, mind. Well, goes I will say that that's kind like... of like the you know the perfect way to surmise a lot of my thoughts on this movie is like yeah. I love this part of this. I also really don't like this part of it. You know, but yes, yeah. Continue. No,
1: the the first shot of the movie, the establishing shot with that ship coming in, that's kind of yeah. like it's twirling around and mm-hmm. how it lands on Curaçao like. I will never get over seeing Mm -hmm. that opening shot ever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think uh, kind of what I'm, I'm pointing to is like, the costumes and like uh certain cityscapes and Camino yeah. as a planet and the kaminoans like not the way that they necessarily look in the movie because some of that cg can be a little rough i mean just as like somebody sat down and drew that character and said i think this is what they should look like i think that design of stuff i also love that uh phase one clone trooper design i think yeah. all of that is great um, I think, you know, Django Jango Fett is a really interesting, cool looking character. Like a lot of the battle droids get like new ships and new tanks and stuff in this movie. I think from a design perspective, uh, I think this is a gorgeous movie. It's just a well, shame that a lot of the CG <laughs> doesn't look as good.
1: The, uh, the super battle droids as well are some of my favorite designs. Oh yeah. yeah great. Um, and they're, they're so, uh, like unique in their design where for a long time, because I was playing with like Legos and things and playing the Lego games, yeah. you almost miss that the super battle droids have a B1 battle droid head and yeah. eyes big in the shoulders. middle of that big, yeah. you know, they're huge delts yeah, freaking <laughs> massive shoulders. Yeah, uh, You like miss that they have a head and eyes and it's so cool. But like, I always am like, I, I get so happy hearing like their wrist cannons like opening up and how they like, just the sound design there oh, yeah. too is phenomenal. Um, I think the, the, the
0: spider droids are also awesome designs, but talking yeah, about sound ahead. design. The, the, the seismic charges are iconic, like have yeah. become like a fan favorite sound here. Uh, speaking of sound, I want to talk about the music of this movie, uh, before we eventually kind of wrap up here. I really want to applaud John Williams cause there's a lot of great, uh, uh, musical pieces and movements in this, I think across the stars is like one of my very favorites. Yeah. Um, absolutely gorgeous. Do you have any favorite, um, kind of, uh, uh, uh music moments in this? You had mentioned you had some John Williams insight. Do you want to, yeah. this is the time. I, it's your, I talked it's... to John Williams himself. Uh, <laughs> okay. here's the insight that he gave me. Well, first of all, I should say
1: the, I keep coming back to this, but the Zan Wessel Chase music is yeah. baller. It's just so good. I
0: can, I can hear it in my head right now. Yeah. Right.
1: I like have it playing a, constantly on loop <laughs> in my head. Um, Can't get any
0: work done. I'm just thinking. Yeah, no. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, no. So the, I, I was listening to this, this, uh, m- music, uh, theory guy. Yeah. uh, like a guy that knows about music theory, not like a channel based on game theory called music theory. I mean like somebody who's yeah. Yeah. uh, A music theorist. Um, talk about kind of the different movements that John William utilizes. And it's so funny that like, um, people, people will say that star Wars has a, a particular sound Granted, like, Across the Stars feels like it doesn't sound like much else of Star Wars. I mean, it does. Mm -hmm. Um, It fits in, but it's not like it's, oh, that's using the same blah, blah, blah. When actually, it is using the same blah, 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 because Mm -hmm. the first two notes of Across the Stars are the same as Princess Leia's theme, um, and it actually goes into a minor it changes into a minor movement um, from where Leia's theme stays into the major um, after those first two notes. Um, And then kind of the, what's also interesting is that, so that's like part of Leia's theme Mm -hmm. um, is that it's hers, but it's in, it goes to a minor movement um, which makes it more tragic. Yeah. Along with that, the rhythm of the notes, kind of the cadence of the, bum, 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 that, mm-hmm. uh, that the, that across the stars uses is the same rhythm as quote unquote Luke's theme or the binary sunset theme. Right. It's like a perfect blend of Luke and Leia's theme, but it sounds so heartbreaking. Yeah. It's like, okay, sum that all up. You don't even need to think that far ahead to be like, yeah, this is great. This is wonderful composing, you know?
0: Yeah and Williams does such a great job of incorporating um you know prior Star Wars movements and, and and making it modern or adding new things but yeah the the prequels of the 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 soundtrack of the prequels movies is not something that has ever you know been a a detractor of these movies and I think Attack of the Clones is a no exception here um it's a small part you know it's not actually part of the movie here Noah but I do want to uh before you know our kind of last uh, thing to discuss here Some merchandise, any uh, favorite toys or, uh, or, you know, I would even throw some video games in there or maybe an old t-shirt that you had or a lightsaber or, you know, any kind of childhood nostalgic, uh, attack of the clones merch that you can think of.
1: Well, I always think of like the, uh, those, those power of the force toys. Is that what they were called? Yeah. Um, where they're all kind of buff and GI Joe looking.
0: Yeah. Like in the mid nineties. Yeah. Yes. Um, was, was that the 90s? I thought that was... Hold on a minute. No, those came out like 95, like before
1: uh, Phantom Menace came out. Okay, because uh, I'm in my head, I'm thinking of like the original line. Yeah, I guess they're the same kind of color scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, The original line of the Attack of the Clones toys yeah. are really interesting because they do have a lot of clone troopers, um, mm-hmm. which I really love. Um, But yeah, I don't know if there was anything specific that I had. I just, in my head have those designs of like the um the action figures that are like it's so recognizable you know mm-hmm.
0: yeah i i think something that i love about attack of the clones is there are a lot of toy moments or things that you can get that are toys you know one of my yeah. very favorite ones was uh Uh, a a gift from from yours truly was uh, the uh, speeder that Anakin steals Um, I have like a story with that that maybe I can share for another time but that was very nostalgic for me so so getting that um, I uh, was a very happy to be receiving that one, um, but uh, I have got a couple of figures go- to go with that. But yeah, I love the Republic gunship. I wish that I uh, had one of those, like the they had like a big one that you could fit all your like three and three quarter figures yeah. uh, with. Uh, I also love the uh, Dexter Jetster figure because he comes with like a meat cleaver, uh, and I think <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, but also I might be looking for one of these at uh, Celebration, but uh, Obi-Wan's Jedi Starfighter is such a, a, a great ship. Uh, and it's like changes and, it, you know, it comes with like Obi-Wan and a comm link and all that kind of stuff. Uh, great stuff. Great stuff. It's, there's so many, it's so
1: funny that they pumped out like every character you can think of with yeah. these things, you know?
0: Yeah. That's kind of, that's really how that era was with, uh, figures and, and all that kind of stuff. It's anybody that was on screen, you, you're, you're going to get an action figure. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah.
1: I, I will say I did have more Revenge of the Sith toys, uh, than oh, I had yeah. Attack of the Clones toys. I had the, uh, like the, the burned Anakin that you could put his, like, you could put his robe on and change his, change his head to be burned. Uh, which was absurd. He could take his legs off and everything, too.
0: <laughs> Just inflicting pain on uh, Anakin here. But, uh, any other kind of final thoughts? No, we've been talking about this for nearly two and a half hours. And guess what? We will continue to talk about Attack of the Clones uh, in our future conversations and future episodes. But uh, any other kind of uh, pressing thoughts here as we uh, close out our 20th anniversary celebration of this movie?
1: I, I just think uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Bailey Hunt, has he has not seen Attack of the Clones since high school, mm-hmm. um, which I think is, you know, i'm not going to say that it's a travesty i'm not going to say that it's like a huge mistake i think it is one of those things that's like there are growing pains associated with this Mm -hmm. um and i just urge people to maybe say if this was part of a nostalgic part of your life um that that those things can be reignited and uh especially with maybe look at it this way. With all there is out there that you can hate instead of this, maybe give Attack of the Clones a second chance. That's all I want to say.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of movies out there that on the surface level can be good or enjoyable, but once you start to dive really deep in some of the characters and what the movie is actually saying, I think it can kind of fall apart a little bit. Yeah. I think this movie is kind of the opposite of that to where a lot of the stuff on the surface level, isn't very good. <laughs> a lot of the uh, acting and a lot of the dialogue is not great. Um, it, I, as I've said, I don't think it, the movie looks very good. Um, and I think, yeah, aside from some cool moments, I think there are a lot of things that as a passerby or you might be like, yeah, it's not, not Great. Uh, and, and before we close out, I do want to talk about where this ranks uh, for for oh, each yeah, of us and yeah. in, in, in all of our Star Wars rankings here. But um, so give you an opportunity to pull up your letterbox list. Um, well, I've but, already got it up. Oh, there he is. He's prepared. Um, but I think I would argue that this is a movie that when you really dive in. And, and dive deep into what George was trying to say and behind all of the silly lines about sand and all that kind of stuff and the, yeah, the romance that might not work as well, I think you would be rewarded and I th- that's something that I can say for a lot of Star Wars out there um, and I think is something that um, yeah, Attack of the Clones, not one of my favorite Star Wars movies, but it is still one that I've seen dozens and dozens of times and I will still continue to watch uh, and I'm very excited to see everybody coming together, uh, this Star Wars celebration and to celebrate this movie because it is so key to a lot of our childhoods here uh, and I'm very excited to uh, just give this movie a big hug for all of its silliness and the, the ridiculousness that it has but I want to know, Noah, in the context of all the ridiculousness that it has, out of the 11th Theatrically released Star Wars films, not including the Ewok movies or the uh, animated uh, uh, Clone Wars movies. Damn it. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Where does this rank from you from uh, 1
1: to 11? From 1 to 11, this movie ranks at number 9. 9.
0: Number nine, yeah. Um, you don't have to provide too much context into the other movies for you, because I'm sure we'll dive into some of that kind of stuff later. But this is at number ten for me. Um, it is not my least favorite Star Wars movies. There is another Star Wars movie that I'm still, I'm still on that process of growth, still trying to yeah. work through some stuff. It's not. I'm not quite as healed over with this movie. It's like, nah, I'm great. I'm fine. I'm at peace with it. Where <laughs> the other one, I'm still trying to like work through some stuff with. Um, where with this one, I think. Uh, Big picture stuff uh, I think of all of the lore that it adds I think it is the most rich Star Wars movie other than maybe A New Hope of like these are things That didn't exist before this and then they exist After this and I love what this adds To Star Wars Um, It is very nostalgic for me some really fun Action in this movie some great stuff That is designed incredibly well I love the look of a lot of um, Characters and, and vehicles And planets in this movie um, but as far as, uh, you know, the filmmaking itself, yes, performances, yes, CG, yes, um, uh, some things that have been talked about to death. But I'm just so happy that at celebration this year and, you know, to celebrate it here as well as in this podcast, we could talk about all the things that we love about this movie. Cause I think that this is a movie yeah. that gets kicked a lot, you know, while it's down. But I think that there is, uh, as we've talked about, two and a half hours worth of things that we can talk about that we, that we do really love about this film.
1: Yeah, and I'll say this much um if it wasn't for me re-watching rogue one recently this movie would be at number eight uh out of 11 but it is now number nine um just because hey <clears throat> excuse me that was a that was a, a really faulty <laughs> he's, time he's, get, to, he's uh, getting
0: he's getting choked up <laughs> excuse
1: me um uh, <laughs> as I was saying uh it just goes to show that even with the things that you are you know really prone to hating even, or really prone to, you know, rubbing you the wrong way, your opinion Mm -hmm. can change over time. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, I, I
0: think that's all I have to say. Very nice. Well, I'm excited to be continuing our, uh, Obi month Kenobi because next week we'll be returning, uh, to Noah talk about our favorite Obi-Wan Kenobi lines. Uh, we, uh, previously talked about star Wars rebels and that great twin sons conversation, uh, conversation between Maul and Kenobi. So omitting that scene, what are our favorite Obi-Wan Kenobi lines? And I'm sure there may or may not be some attack of the Clones stuff in there. Uh, but until then, Noah, take us home, buddy. Okay, guys, thank
1: you guys so much for tuning in with us. We hope you learned something today. If there's any topics or bits and music that we should cover, you can head over to our Twitter, like I said, at scumvillainpod. But for now, this has been Scum and Villainy with Noah George And Garrett McDowell. And may the Force be with you. We'll see you next time. See you, guys.